Hey, and welcome to the Mountain Cat Guitars podcast, where we discuss all things guitar-related. My name is Doug Meyer, owner of Mountain Cat Guitars, and I've been buying and selling guitars professionally for over 25 years. From boutique guitar and amp builders, vintage guitar dealers and experts, guitar repairmen and luthiers, retailers, manufacturers, and of course, guitar players, we talk to the people who buy, sell, play, and of course, obsess over the things we love most, guitars. Hi everybody, it's Doug from Mountain Cat Guitars and this is the Mountain Cat Guitars podcast. We are in Brooklyn at the fabulous Retrofret Guitars. We are very excited to be here with Peter Komen, who um, runs this place with Steve Yurick um, and a bunch of other cool people, which we'll get into all that. This is James Carbonetti from uh, the Guitar Shop NYC and Carbonetti Hello. Guitars, of course. Josh Grove from Protocaster Guitars. And we would just like to thank our sponsors very quickly. Bob's used helicopters. We love Bob. He's been with us since the very beginning. Thank you, Bob. And LaBella uh, strings, the finest handmade strings in the world. And we're just going to get right down to it. So this is re the new Retro Fret Guitars. This is not the first Fret. This is the second Retro Fret Guitars. Yeah, it's the same company. It's just a new home. Right, because I was at your other place, yeah. which was very cool also. Yeah, absolutely. But this is cooler this and much is, more convenient. Yeah, you know, lovely. like. Well, we, we moved, basically, we had a big loft in Gowanus. Right. And as anyone involved with New York knows, you know, real estate values went kind of loopy here. So we owned a chunk of that building, but not the whole thing. Uh, so, so the consortium was like, well, I think it's time to sell this building. Fortunately, because we owned a chunk of it, we were able to leverage that into getting our own building, building. where nobody can tell us what to do. Right. Yeah. So oh, we, I didn't know that. I thought you owned that yeah. building and sold so it and bought this building. We, we, were able to, well, we were able to take our chunk of that huge building, which had a lot of stuff going on in it, and get this smaller book to us. That's right, because you had to go upstairs and over yeah. or something. Yeah, so there were all sorts of other things going on. That it was like the secret garden. That, yeah. That, <laughs> we, I mean, we didn't move because we wanted to. Right. We moved because we had to. But in the long run, um, it always works out. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. you know, it works out. What, what enabled us to do is really rebuild the space to our in the way you want exactly. to, right? Because we came in here, and this place was pretty much gutted. It had been like an office. There were all these computer terminals in here, and there's this crap everywhere. We just gutted the place. Oh, you had someone drop the plans for all this, like yeah. We kept we kept the beams on the ceiling, and that was about it. And wow. we were able, to, you know, we spent a year kind of laying out, and we had at that point, you know, 15 years experience of people coming and going and oh, playing place, guitar, right. and like, how are people comfortable? How how mm -hmm. We make a space. See here, we have several different areas. So if someone's playing a classical over there, someone can play so an electric here. guitar there. We have a dedicated electric room now that's soundproof, that's closed off. So if somebody wants to wail away on a strat, somebody can still play a little more. That's the way here. to do I mean, it. You'll yeah. hear them, but it's not kind of yeah. Right. Yeah, it's not like can you get that kind of stuff. So it's it, we were able to really lucky to be able to find this building. We looked at literally, uh, no exaggeration, about fifty buildings. Oh wow! And. Most of them just either wouldn't work or were too expensive or would require rebuild. And we hit the. Steve found this building and said, I think it was kind of like late in the day. And he said, I think you should take a look. And I walked in and I just looked at him and went, This is it. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. This is the place. That's I mean, what you need I to had, feel. I had this vibe like, about it. I, yeah, saw, like, I saw instantly what we could do with it. And we've been really happy here. And it, it, it awesome. allows us, you know, the old place, I used to have an office. First, I shared an office with other people, which was nuts. Then I had my own office in this big kind of empty shipping room area, and I had to run across, if I wanted to adjust the truss right, I had to run across the roof <laughs> to get the tools. It's always pleasant. Like yeah. So now, everyone's set up. 
everyone has their own area, and during the, the pandemic, it's been crucial because we can all work in our own spots. spaces. We're not sitting in an office across right. from someone. Well, it's one of the reasons we're wearing masks for the folks yeah. at home, although yeah. you're supposed to, but you know you wouldn't normally. But we, we've had, but there was a scare here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've had two employees be made really. This, this, you know, I. I don't really get political, but the bullshit that this is not real. What's I've had two employees sick as hell from this thing. I've seen it firsthand. And young. And young, young guys, both in their 20s, because they're out there, you know, messing around in the world. The old men have been staying inside. <laughs> but, you know, um, the fact that we all have our own working areas. And, well, that helps. You can keep working. Work, that's made a huge through difference. This whole it's thing. allowed us to keep open and go through the whole thing. But we've had to close the showroom a couple of times because we've had someone come down sick and we have to just yeah, right, then you gotta do what you gotta do, do right yeah that's but, right you closed yeah, right but, <laughs> but i've been shipping stuff out still yeah, I've been yeah. Coming in and i do the, you know i, I still yeah you never stop shipping never yeah. stop shipping <laughs> yeah, we have our similar thing where we're allowed yeah. like, to live in the shop yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I got two guitars to pack today when yeah. we're done Exactly. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I live right above my shop. Yeah, yeah. and that's, like, that's what well, keeps you going. Well, you, you know? do too. Yeah. You live up there. I, live, <laughs> I, keep, I keep watching this place. I sweep the. I'm like the old 19th century shopkeeper. Yeah, yeah you got that. Well, John D'Angelico yep. lived above I, the I, thing yeah. and made wine in his bathtub yeah. kind of thing. It's, it's a very <laughs> it's Cobra's hero. Century, <laughs> 19th century way yeah. of living. That's We're expecting uh, some toilet wine after this is done. Yeah. I was like the thing with John D'Angelico. Never went on vacation, but he went to Jersey once. Yeah. Yeah. But you like it. He went to yeah. New Jersey. He's like, never again. <laughs> never leave. Never again. He went yeah. out into the bay once fishing, and that yeah. was his fault. Yeah, he's like, that's it. <laughs> never again. <laughs> I was just going to sit around my guitars. Far from home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he like, lived upstairs, made wine. Yeah. Didn't he show up every morning with his jug of wine or something? Like, that guy's my hero. Yeah, yeah. 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 that is hilarious. And he wasn't even an old man. He just looked like one. Yeah. He's younger <laughs> than I am now. <laughs> he, he looked like an old man. Yeah. That, in those life. pictures. But he's younger than I am I, now. I found a photo of him at age. He was like your age. age. He, already, he already looks like an He looked like an old man with a white, you know, white feeder. It's all, like, dirty. People often ask me, because I've had so many guitars in my hands, like, well, what's your favorite guitar, man? It, it's kind of an empty question, because it depends on what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. people always go, what's your favorite guitar in your shop? But I, but I could tell you this. I had, to, uh, I had to move a couple years ago, and I had to be in a sublet for six months, and I took two guitars, one of them was my <laughs> D&J. So there you go. Yeah, I only have one guitar yeah. right now, yeah. and it's my D'Angelo. Right. Is that right? You only, yeah. you only have one guitar? in your hand. Yeah, I have one. It like, becomes I have two like, of them. You have my other one. Yeah, exactly. I have two of them. He has one of mine. I, I, I won't say it's the best sounding guitar I've ever played. I won't say it's the best guitar, but it's you pick it up. and it's, it, it makes you feel good every time. Sweet. Every time I just put my hand on the neck. This yeah. is my guitar. My yeah, too. Yeah. I play mine every day. If I'd gone back to 1934 and had him make a guitar for me, it's exactly what I would have wanted. Yeah. yeah. And it's just I'm with you. Yeah. I play mine every day. Yeah. That's I don't cool. have any other guitar I There's play every single day. Yeah. Same. When you, a lot of people, this, I mean, this segues into another thing. People talk about why do you love vintage instruments? Like, you know, why don't you love, uh, I think there's a lot of great builders building mm -hmm. lovely modern instruments. I have nothing against that. The thing that inspires <laughs> me is when I pick something up, is where is the history and where's it been? Where, what music was Yeah, there? like I like old houses. Yeah, I like old it's buildings. The same thing. I like yeah. old everything. You know, as a like native New Yorker, <laughs> the, the, the whole John D'Angelico thing is just kind of magical to me. Yeah. I remember that neighborhood when I was a kid. You mm -hmm. know, he died when I was four years old. Mm -hmm. But I still kind of feel this. You know, Affinity, yeah. That, that concept of the little, the local guy. Yeah, there's some time capsule built into there. the instrument yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. And, it was and, built and in the 30s. One, yeah. we, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. You get one that's been played heavily by one person, mm -hmm. and like their soul is played. There, yeah. yeah, no because doubt. Because I think, and I, I'm going to segue a little bit here. I'm going to preach to the choir. You can segue. Now, people, you are listening.
listen to me, man. I'm going to preach to you now. <laughs> I'm going to tell those guys. But the thing is, to me, it, 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 I'm not just like old stuff. I mm -hmm. like old houses. I like old paintings. I like old cars. But if I was selling you, let's say, a painting, if I had a, a Modigliani on the wall, you may have a deep emotional response. You may look at it like, oh, it's so beautiful. It moves my soul. The painting doesn't give a crap about you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, don't, you don't interact with it. But you pick up that guitar, and you and it create something new. Yeah, you interact art. with the instrument in no a doubt. way that nothing else does that. And that's mm -hmm. why I find these things so exciting yeah. to this day. I love handing some 26-year-old kid will come in here, and I'll hand him a guitar he's never played before. And if he gets it, like, or she gets it, because a lot of women are playing now, which is, to me, much more exciting, because that's half the population that, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. haven't been experiencing this, Good point. you know, vintage. That's regularly, at least. You know, mm -hmm. along the way. So totally. I'm actually really, that's, that's one of the big developments to me. But I hand it to someone, and if they get the right vibe, like, their eyes will light up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this isn't, like, the, the cheap, you know, Chinese thing that they totally. can find. Right. This has got a vibe, and it, it'll take you, if you let it, it'll mm -hmm. take you somewhere. It'll take Absolutely. That's very well said. Yeah. yeah. And it, you, you will take it someplace you've never been, and it will take you. Yeah. Right. I just went through, I went, you know, one of the, one of the problems in this business, as I'm sure you know, is now I've got a, I've got a decent sized collection of instruments, not as big as I once had, and I'm not always sure why I want something, <laughs> why something moves me. So, <laughs> you know, we, we go through phases where we buy stuff, and I, I do a lot of the buying. And Steve is a lot, and we argue about it constantly, and that's it's the give and take. You know, we see different things. But I was like, I saw a Gibson bass on a dealer list last week, and I said, Oh, that's a good one, we should buy that. And it came in, and I took it upstairs last night, and I started cleaning it, and I went, Oh man, it's a 64 Gibson EB2, which nice. is the British <laughs> invasion bass. Yeah, oh, exactly. totally. Yeah. And, I already, and I have an Epiphone Rivoli, a 64, mm -hmm. it's the same instrument. Yeah. But as I was cleaning this EB2, I was just like, Ah, this came from Salt Lake City. The guy's leather strap fuses for his amp are in the case. And I just had that thing click in my brain. Yeah. Oh, I think I have to keep this one. Right. <laughs> and I don't need an EB2. Right. It doesn't matter. But it just, then you start matter. steaming. But something about the this vibe instrument, of this instrument. Right. This one has a vibe. That's what happened. This guy yeah. owned it. Right. He had his amp fuses in the case. Like right. That, that, that hasn't, been met, hasn't been messed with since the day the guy put it put away and he was playing and he kept his amp fuses in case his amp blew mm -hmm. on the gig. Yeah. It has his worn leather strap in it. It's the best. I cleaned the crud off it. But he had old Fender flat wound strings on it, which nice. they just cleaned up and put right back on. Yeah. And I just got that that vibe. This bass speaks to me. me right. It makes me yeah. want to play animal songs. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is, uh, again, it, it, I was warning these guys. Uh, my my theme song is "Don't You Stop Me Talking." I'm <laughs> that I know. But <laughs> once I start, I can't stop. I I, I had the one of the great experiences of my life. Uh, was getting to play with Hilton Valentine from the Animals a bunch of times. Yeah, time. what a champion. Because not only is he a hero of mine when I was a kid, like really a hero, because I love that band and I love what he did, because he never learned a new note. Like he figured out how he wanted to play guitar in 1964, <laughs> and that's how he still <laughs> plays. <laughs> and, that, and it's like, Certain some people stone. consider that stupid. I consider that genius, because yeah. I've been to see John Fogel, who's another hero, and he's learned to play like Eric Clapton, and it's just no fun anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't yeah. sound like John Fogarty, but Hilton picks up the guitar like, that's Hilton. Yeah. That's Hilton from the Wildcats to the Animals to the rest of his life. And he was just the sweetest Way guy. Way cooler. So I kept this Rivoli around because when I played with him, I had to play the Jazz Chandler Animals bass. And Hilton just passed away a yeah. couple months ago. And I, I really, you know, you get old, you start, my mom warned me about this, you start losing your friends. It's a thing. Yeah, but I really felt yeah. that one because he was such a gentleman. 
And he'd been through so much crap in his life. Like yeah. Ripped off blind, living on the dole back in England, yeah. you know, acid tripped out for 10 years. And he'd settled into being this beautiful kind of Zen guy who loved Buddhism and Newcastle Brown Ale. That goes together, yeah. And um, so, so when I was just playing with this EBT, I was like, man, I'd love to be able to play this with Hilton. So I think I might have to just, like, divide. That's what happens, because you, know? yeah. you wind up with all these guitars, and yeah, people go, why do you have all these guitars? Because they spoke to me at some right. point, yeah, in some way. Something. Especially at Chelsea, we got yeah. guitars every day. Yeah. So, like, that would happen. You'd play something, and you'd just be like, it spoke to me, yeah. so it's in my house someplace. Yeah. Yeah. You know, How so many like, times it happened? Yeah. How many times when I was like 18 or 19 working with you and I didn't have anything, I was like, Doug, I need it. I need to get this. <laughs> yeah, like, You'll I'll lend you the money. Yeah. 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 Like, you'll yeah. figure it out. He had better guitars than I had. He was like 17 <laughs> on tour working for us for like $3 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> he had like a Les Paul SG. I was like, I need he had a park this. amp. Yeah. <laughs> Inside in the middle of the country, someplace for I gas money. Yeah. He had everything. It was a fun, fun run. Of Everyone's guitars. like that. Craig would run back and be like, "I need this guitar. Like, I'll lend you the money. Yeah, we'll yeah. figure it out." <laughs> and then I do it to Danny. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm taking this. Yeah, yeah. I got that D'Angelico from Danny. He's like, I was like, "I'll take it as is. Yeah, don't whatever. touch it." But that's what <laughs> happens because we love these. But I, it, that's the thing with vintage guitars. It's never happened to me with a newer guitar. Yeah. No. Where I picked it up and those. You're like, yeah. whoa, like this guitar yeah. is doing it. You know, like yeah. that's where I'm sitting, it was I, off the wall. <laughs> I know people who only want newer instruments, they want to put their stink on it. Right, that's cool. They don't want anyone else's funk. And it's I, different I for everybody. That. I respect but, it, but it's But stupid. I just like old stuff, and you yeah. can feel the previous owners in these I things. I usually like, find them to be the less interesting players. Yeah. <laughs> like, I because picked up that guitar on the way here. Like, that's a four, like a really old Epiphone yeah. from that woman yeah. on Riverside Drive. We picked it up. She was so cool. I spoke to her on their phone. She studies with a friend of mine. And that guitar has a lot of soul. Yeah, it you does know, have a lot of soul. It just needs a little work. It needs it a little needs, love. A lot of the people didn't know, you know, now... Be, these things have become things now that we take care of. It's very right. much like I, I, I'm, I'm, I would have been a car guy if my life had gone to different yeah, 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 me too. And there's know. a lot of parallels to old cars yeah. on this. A lot of dealers um, do the Corvette they, thing. But people you know. didn't know to take care of these things. Yeah. It was just a, no one knew how. You know, nobody like, knew how. It was just a used yeah. guitar. Yeah, just a used guitar. <laughs> but no one knew about humidity and all, you know, all that stuff. Even treasured them didn't have yeah. to take care no. of them. But I always tell people, you know, if you found, say you found a 1928 Model A. Mm -hmm. In a garage, mm -hmm. hadn't been driven since the 30s. Yeah, what's the you don't first thing you do? Would you turn it on? <laughs> you expect to be able to put some time. Or in. have some guy come over who knows yeah. what he's doing. You one know, like the, one of the things I write everything. The Retrofront website is our main selling tool. The website and our Instagram page, which people go nuts over. Yeah, I'm I'm we have a, a, a. I should mention, really wonderful gent named George Aslander is our photographer. He's also the good guitar player. He, he's like he's mm -hmm. like a world class guitar player, and he's never had the ambition. To, to you know, to go out in the world and try to make a name, but he he can sit down with so any good. any jazz guitar player on earth, and they'll be like, "Oh, this guy knows he can play." Well, yeah. Um, but anyway, he does all our photography, and he brings the same kind of like really detailed view, and people go nuts over the pictures. So our Instagram thing is blowing. We'll just we'll photograph a fairly normal guitar, like we just put up a um, a 1972 uh, Fender Music Master. Yeah, so Daphne Blue, beautiful looking <laughs> guitar, photographed great. Somebody saw it, they bought it, like literally within minutes of putting it up. You know, just because it looked 
proper pictures these days is really the name of the game. Make some videos. It's requisite. Yeah. Like I, I take care of all of Josh's stuff at Protocaster. So like, because yeah. he's too busy doing this stuff. So, but, so I do all the Instagram stuff. You know, he's good enough to send me pictures at the end of every day of everything that happened because they go to customers yeah. or doing makeovers. So he's very good at sending me pictures. I send them to the customers. But, you know, half the time you put up the picture and someone's like, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, ooh, what is it? When's yeah. it going to be done? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, like. Or I'll, you know, I'll take that. But uh, actually, can you make me one that has this or right. this or this? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of the way our business is these days. It's not so much someone walking into your shop. It's yeah. like it's Instagram. You know, yeah. or, you know, it'll keep changing. But, you know, you may, at the beginning, we were all making videos. Mm -hmm. And that's how we started the podcast yeah. was, you know, we were doing videos originally. Totally. Like, because Daniel had just got out of film school. And this is all just starting. So we started making these really, they're, they're still on YouTube. Yeah. Like, they're 11 years old now. Peter, so they're yeah. younger. <laughs> and they were crude. Forgive me for interrupting you, Doug. How much of what you buy do you feel like is reflective of trends that you see kind of ebb and flow? Um, I would say how much of what we sell more than what we because we buy anything we if we see something we think is cool for the right price we're gonna buy it, yeah, buy it. Yeah. essentially what we sell is often very reflective of trends and where prices go is reflective of trends yeah. sure. you see that stuff ebbs and flows all the time because it's much quicker now it's it's like you know they say in the 19th century it took like six weeks to get a letter to california yeah <laughs> now it's there in a second so a guitar trend like and there are people who are trendsetters like the, the if you're under the age of like 33 a lot of guys are obsessed with Blake Mills. Mm -hmm. I've met Blake. He's a nice guy. He's coming. We've had a long talk at the shop, but I don't really know. Like, he's not important to me I don't because know who the he people is. I love, sure. I, I learned about 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. and that's the music I like. But totally. if, you're, if you're a kid, so when Blake Mills plays a guitar, like a Goya Range Master, yeah. there's like. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. Yeah, people want the Goya Range Masters yeah. all disappear. Here, here's the math. Um, on this, and I, I, I bet you've seen this too. You remember about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Billy Joe Armstrong started playing 50s Les Paul Juniors live. Yeah, that's right Green when I got Green Day was the biggest band on earth. Now, Les Paul Juniors are going for about 25, 3500 bucks. That's a common guitar. They yeah. Thou literally thousands of them. It's the most common 1950s Gibson. Was that right? I didn't know. They're messed up. Yeah. But they made. Yeah, they were look, look at the, I'll show you the production. They made several thousand a year for yeah. about five years. So compared to like a sunburst or compared to a lot of more obscure yeah, things, so many more. they made a lot. But how many are in the vintage market at any given point? 10, 20 maybe yeah, but on a good day. So if 100,000 kids, they say the Green Day plays on tour to 2 million people. Yeah. 100,000 kids go, wow, that's a cool guitar he's playing. I man. want one. 10,000 yeah. go, wow, maybe I'd want to get one of those. A thousand actually look at one, yeah. and a hundred want to buy one. Yeah. The market goes nuts because there aren't a hundred available with right. a vintage guitar. Mm -hmm. With a new guitar, this is what Fender and Gibson of Laps do. They can do the Billy Joe Armstrong signature model, right? And, 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 and bag them out. Yeah. But with the actual vintage piece, every shop in the U.S. will be like, "Wow, I'm out of juniors." Yeah. And they'll go to buy another one, and suddenly price the price up. will be. Forty-five hundred, right. and then you got to charge fifty-five, and the price would go like one. Yep. And that's how that's yeah. how the trend that you're asking about it affects the buying on the back end because it's the selling. It affects the totally. I'll suddenly sell out of something and go. What's well, going I had, on here? I had those juniors for, right. for six months. Who's playing one? Right. And then I'll discover it because there's some trend on it. Yeah. It's but happening that's a lot of cheaper guitars way. because a lot of kids can't afford. 
They can't afford. What happened with Jack White and the National Guard? Oh yeah, the National sure, yeah. yeah, and now they've they've gone back down because most people. Because now, now he's like, kind of he's, he's, he's moved on to some. He doesn't play them anymore. Yeah, he doesn't play them anymore. Yeah. But so, you know, someone else will come out playing something else. Yeah. That used to happen in Vintage Guitar Magazine. Like you could yeah. tell back when everyone read Vintage Guitar before the internet. Like it was the yeah. only place you knew what you were going to get phone calls from mm -hmm. if you yeah. were reading Vintage Guitar. Yeah, I remember the Black Crow Space player came in. I recognized him. I didn't know him at the time. I knew him later, and he was like, "Do you?" Have any Gibson Les Paul signature bases? I was like, no, because you used one in a video. He's like, uh, he's like, I know, and I can't get a backup for mine. Get, yeah. I was like, you caused it though. Yeah. Like he's like, I know, and he couldn't yeah. get another one. Well, sort of. I mean, I'm pointed at the back end of it, but those Harmony Ace 44s, early Harmony solid vibes. Oh, so yeah. cool. They're not a super playable guitar by a modern standard, but they do a thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, Rebo got into them, and um, other people started getting into them, and the price, they've been a $200 guitar forever, yeah. forever, yeah, 185 bucks. That would happen. And the price, and suddenly, and Revo was in here going, yeah, you know. I screwed damn, myself. I can't, I can't find another one. Well, especially Jimmy Page would always say the wrong model amp that was on Zeppelin 1, because yeah, yeah. he wouldn't say it was a Thunderbolt in yeah, early on, because he didn't want people buying Thunderbolts. <laughs> He said it was another model or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's smart. Well, Re Rebo said to me, ah, oh, Waits has got the best one and he won't sell it to me. And I, every one I try isn't as good as his. That's how. But, you know. That was always Walter and Nightbot. Yeah, like, but, but it turns into the thing. <laughs> it, oh, I love those it, guitars. It turns into That's the, Roman gold is the yeah, color, right? Yeah. It turns oh, is that what? Oh, that's Roman yeah. gold. Right, I had one of these. It turns into the H44 thing. Yeah. But that and, color is the coolest. Oh, it, that is it, a beautiful bronzy it, copper. I did that on a guitar. The like, neck joint. Yeah, it, it was uh, well, it's, Paul Roney. It's, it's Paul Roney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ro yeah. Roney, yeah. Yeah. He was I, like, what color do you want your model to be? I was like, Roman gold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would, there's, a, there's, to me, there's a couple of bright design elements in this, and there's a couple of design flaws. The main flaw is there's no neck angle. Mm -hmm. Right. Hey, you got it right. Strange. Recently, I had a K131, which is the K version of this. And they got a couple of things wrong, but theirs has a neck angle and an adjustable bridge. You can set the action as low as you want. Right, you're fine. As well. That's These, why I sold mine. <laughs> you always have to finagle them. The, the, yeah. the, the Rebo and the Tom Waits guys, um, they Sync screw those. the tailpiece to the body. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives Better you a angle. great go. If they designed this like a telly with a string through, it'd be one of the world's great guitars. Yeah, totally. it'd be much more playable. Totally. That's um, why I sold mine ultimately. Yeah. yeah. It was like the thin twin. You know, like yeah. you could never get a neck it had no yeah, neck yeah, angle. Yeah. So with a thin twin you got the thin one you can do a neck set on. I did a neck set on if mine. If you look at it <laughs> funny, the neck will come off. Yeah. yeah. So thin twin <laughs> a thin twin can be fixed. The thing about, I mean, the characteristic of the thin twin is the incredibly inefficient pickup. <laughs> they're this big under yeah. there. Uh, we never knew they were big under there. They well, look like lipstick pickups. But, some people, but under there, they're this big. Some people have learned to love, see, I mean, we, I come out of the era where the vintage guitars that were worth money were the ones perfect for playing the music in 1971. Mm -hmm. You plug it into a 100-watt mark. Yeah, Les Paul Custom. It right. So it's Les Paul's, Strat's. 335. Nothing else was cool. Yeah. No. Well, and Ivan has was cool. 330, yeah. don't even think yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Especially oh. with the pickup yeah. in the That happens to us. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a cool as guitar. We used to go to 48th yeah. Street and be like, yeah. we want a 335. They're like, well, you don't have enough money. We'll yeah. take this 330. We'll be like, awesome. It looks just like it. Yeah. You get home and like, woo! Like, what the hell is this thing? No, What's going on? This guitar is stupid. We didn't know that. We just with ten watt amp, yep. hundred watt amp. They're amazing, but wow, do they whistle through if you play rock and roll? Yeah, but, but we didn't know yeah. that. But my shtick is, I grew up in the seventies. I was born in nineteen fifty nine, the last on the last side of the fifties. But I didn't like modern music as a kid. I liked old rock and roll. 
So when I started getting into guitars, I was in 1976. I thought new guitars suck. I was into old guitars. They did already. <laughs> you were right. People they I thought did were suck. cool. We're playing. playing older guitars. Right. And a friend of mine, 1978, a, a dear, a dear friend of mine I haven't seen in 30 years, a guy named Mikey J, who was the bass player in a New York band called the Fuzz Tones, mm -hmm. who you know old line people might remember. They're a great live band. But anyway. He, he was my age, but we kind of like threw shit back and forth, but he was one of my kind of rock and roll mentors. He, he had a little um, more money than me, so he would take me to shows. I had no money as a mm -hmm. kid at all. So he'd take me to see the Jay Giles band and said, Petey, we have to go see oh, the Jay Giles It's funny Giles. that you just mentioned that, because I just had this yeah. whole thing with the Jay Giles band with a friend of mine, like yeah. just how awesome they were. Oh, they were, they, were the best, they were the best blues band. In 1970, you ever listen to their first album, promo here, first album on Atlantic, the only great white American blues band who don't overplay, right. who don't go wanky, wanky, right. wanky. They're a great bar R&B. He's one of the great guitar players. That guy's one of the great heart players of all the time. The whole thing. You and know? Peter Wolf. Yeah, Peter Wolf. I just for, got for turned... a bunch of white guys from Boston. Yeah. What a Someone yeah. just turned me on to a Peter yeah. Wolf solo album, yeah. Sleepless. Mick Jagger's on it and Steve Earle. It's incredible. It's one of the best albums I've ever yeah. heard. Wait. I didn't even know about Stop it. Stop a minute. Yeah, so cool. Mm -hmm. Don't. Don't allow it. You know, yeah, what a they, cool they caught, band. They caught the vibe in a way. Most bands in that era were all about like cranking your amp and yeah. overplaying. Trying to be clapped in. Or, even yeah. even at that point, even I gotta say Butterfield got oh, into the horns and stuff. Later, and, yeah. And it was kind of on the slide in terms of... But, but, in the 70s, yeah. yeah. The Butterfield yeah. stuff with What, what a weird blues. diversion there. <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny how you make <laughs> those connections. Starting like starting somewhere, but... Um, yeah, how did that even happen? I don't even remember. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, I brought up Mikey. Sorry, folks. I brought up Mikey to credit him on something, and now I don't even remember so what So you saw Jay Giles in seven, 1970? I, no, I, uh, I was 10 years old. I saw them, I saw them on their... Um, in 1976 or 77, oh, like 10th anniversary. They're killing it. And they're, they're, they're absolutely killer. Great, great, great. That's great. Awesome. I saw a lot of great bands in the 70s. And again, you know, mostly it was some friend of mine who bought me a ticket because right. literally, if I had a penny, I spent it on records. Right. I, so I was a record junkie always. You, become, you, know, you get vinyl and that gets you into guitars because mm -hmm. then you want to replicate the vinyl. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 well, I actually started out selling old records. That was my first job. Right. Job. So yeah. let's talk about for a second yeah. our mutual friend, who is right here. No, um, this is the second time, third time he's blown us off. Um, <laughs> and is Chris Mojo or Chris Kush or Chris Such? Right. Anyone who has multiple names, you always have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> but he's Mojo to us, and we yes. love Mojo. So. You met Mojo probably where? I okay, so this goes back. You got you got some time. How much? Time, how, much time how much film do we have in that thing? Well, it's so, not really film. I know um, it's digital. <laughs> I, yeah. Where's the film? Yeah, I grew up um, Upper West Side. You grew up in New York City, right? Yeah, I'm a New York City kid. So I started going to 48th Street when I was 15 and just staring at the windows. Me too. And I bought my I was first younger. Vintage, yeah. I bought my first vintage instrument in the summer of 1976 which was a Hopner bass. Nice. And I'm going to divert from the Mojo thing because we're leading to that. But I, I don't know how I had the balls to do this at 16 because I was a really shy kid. But I walked in and I had $65 in my pocket. Or actually, probably 65 because I, my friend's mom had paid us to paint the ceiling in his room and like stick stars on it. Sweet. That was the most money I'd ever had in the world. Mm -hmm. So I was like, sure. <laughs> I'm going to buy it. I get to buy a bass. And I went to the original small Weebuy Stuyvesant in the south side of 48th Street. And there was this old Hofner hanging on the wall. And in 1976, it was the Beatles were like dead. Nobody cared. Like mm -hmm. The Beatle revival hadn't happened. And I somehow had the balls to walk up to the hand and go, 
you guys, they had $95 price tag. I, you guys don't want 100 bucks for that, do you? And, the, and behind the counter, I don't remember if this was actually Richard Friedman or one of his guys, who said, well, make me an offer, kid. And I pulled out the money, and I got 65 bucks, and the guy went sold. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's awesome. Bought my first it's funny, I bought my first vintage guitar from Richie Friedman the yeah. day I moved to New York City. I had a bit, little bit of a better story. I really wanted a Gibson Hummingbird because yeah. Keith Richards played well. So, and I had a thousand bucks. I had a, a Paul Reed Smith. I hate to even admit it. But well, Santana had just started playing one. I was into Santana. I got one for my college graduation and then I didn't, never played it. So I wanted a Hummingbird. So I just moved to New York City. I had no money. But I had a PR, so I put an ad in the, in the Village Voice. The first day I was there, and it sold that day. So I had $1,000 in cash, and I really wanted a hummingbird. So first I went to Matt Umanoff. He was not particularly nice to me. So, <laughs> we all have stories about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you another one. <laughs> but then I went to WeBuy, and there it is. Perfect hummingbird, exactly what I wanted. And it was $1,200, mm. and I had $1,000. So someone told me... <laughs> You go to guitar shops, and I was young, so I don't even know who told me this, late on a Friday, and offer them cash, and they'll take it because they do their books on Fridays, and they want to do they their They want to book it in. They want to, they want to close up the right. book. Right. So, yeah. so, and they also said, show them the money. Yes. Well, that's very polite. That's it's true, that. right? Yeah. So, yeah. so it's Richie Freeman. Of course, I didn't know him. I just moved to New York that day. So I go, and I'm like, oh... That hummingbird, can I play it? And he was like, you have any money? <laughs> <laughs> they would, really like they would say that. No, I definitely looked like I did. <laughs> I looked like I cracked it. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I do. So he's like, okay, cool. <laughs> so I played it and, you know, I was like, it's really cool. I was like, I'll give you a thousand bucks and I show it to him. Because <laughs> that's what the guy told me to do, show it to him. So I was like, a thousand dollars. He's like, no. Well, $1,200. But, but this is supposed to work. They also, also told me, they also told me, keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. I went around the corner, got a cup of coffee, came back, $1,000. <laughs> He's like, get out. I was like, okay. Another hour later, $1,000. He's like, give me the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets worse, though. <laughs> so he gives me the guitar. I go home. I'm playing it. And all of a sudden, it's, it's rattling. Oh, no. There's a rattle in it. I was like... Well, I can't go back to that guy. <laughs> so I look at the phone book. <laughs> Chelsea Guitars. <laughs> wow. I'll go there. This is how I met Les. I go there. I walk in, and Les is behind the counter. He looks like a crazy person. I'm like, hi, I just moved to New York, and I just bought this guitar, and it's rattling. He's like, who'd you buy it from? I'm like, a guy named Richie Friedman on 40th Street. He's like, oh, it's probably a terrible guitar. It's like, what? He's like, no, I'm just kidding. He's in front of me. And he's like, give me the guitar. And he just aggressively stuffs his hand into the guitar. And I just bet every penny. And he does something and he hands it back to me. And I'm like, well, it's not rattling. He's like, there's screws inside there. I was like, why do I owe you? He's like, for doing what? Just turning a screw? Right, like, just say thanks. Yeah. And that's how I started work, how, hanging at Chelsea, because of course then I go, oh, how much is that guitar? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a penny. Yeah. <laughs> I just spent everything on this guitar. This is like the next day. Yeah. So I go, oh, it was all like a broken up Les Paul special. I'm like, how much is that? And he goes, this, I was like, oh, I don't have any money. He's like, you got any stuff at home? I'm like, yeah, I got a bunch of guitars. He's like, go get them. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> And you're in the guitar business. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This, I, was, I just moved to New York. I was like 20. You know, yeah. was like, and that's how I started hanging at Chelsea. So the, he goes, go home and get a bunch of guitars. Yeah. And then bring them back here and I'll trade you. I was like, okay, cool. So I go home and get a bunch of crap. 
I ring him and he looks at it all and he's like, you know, I can't trade you straight up. You got to give me like 200 bucks. And I was like, I don't have any money. He's like, well, I'll tell you what. You take this guitar and I'll take these guitars. And then when you get 200 bucks, just bring it here. Yeah. And I was like, but I could just never come back here. He's like, yeah, but well, that would be on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and no one had ever been nice to us because we were kids with no money. So like, yeah. no one, was, they're certainly not going to lend you 200 bucks. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I felt so guilty. I borrowed 200 bucks from my mother <laughs> to bring it to him. <laughs> and then I wound up working. He was my mentor yeah. later, you know, like. Yeah, a life, a life so, in guitar. So these whole things, it all connects, yeah. you know. When but, I started at Chelsea, then you were my mentor. Right, right. So, so, right, so it goes down, and now there's Connor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now there's a kid, Justin, who's going to start working, who's probably just a little bit older than when you started at Chelsea. Yeah. That's the way it, this is always regenerated, is this people who love guitar, you yeah, know, like. There's always someone. Yeah. I'm going to loop back. Yeah, we just have to get back to Mojo somehow. How, how I, so. <laughs> After that, me and the friend that I grew up with spent like every waking hour in the summer, I can tell you, summer 1979, when we were 18, 19 years old, we walked to 48th Street every day. Actually, we took... <laughs> every day. <laughs> we come, come up with 50 cents to get there, and then we'd walk home. We'd just walk up and down the street. Now, his family actually had money, so he was actually able to buy a couple of guitars. I was just... But I, you soak it up. You look and you learn. Oh, I used to sit outside Richie's yeah. window for so long, right. he would be like... Get out! Leave yeah. here! You're getting <laughs> fingerprints all over the window. Yeah. So yeah. I, I went. I all through college, I only owned one or two instruments. And the minute I got out of college, I was actually an art school kid. Um, but I got out of art school, and I realized I wasn't going to be an artist. I was going to try to be a musician. So what did I do? I took a job in a record store. There you go. So I was working seven days a week, between eight to twelve hours a day. So I had no life, but suddenly I had money. Money so <laughs> to buy guitars. So I went. I, I bought a couple of things, but in the, uh, my, my defining moment, I think, in my vintage life, my, and it's a rebuy moment, but it's, it's the old man that we buy. You remember, now see, I go back farther, you guys, because I'm, I'm 61 now, so I'm getting to be an old man. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the two, the, the, the Friedman family kind of owned 48th Street. They right. and Manny's and Ash were all on 48th Street. But the two younger kids, they, they got tired of working for Pops, as far as I could tell. So Richie started his store. So he had Stuyvesant on the south side. And Steve had his own store. He had Accent Music on the north side. Right, this is all before me, but I've this heard. This is all before you. Right, so, I've heard of it. So they're all, kind of in, they're all in competition, but they all were part of the same empire. So I was obsessed with The Who and John Entwistle. And the Thunderbird 4 was my thing. That's mm -hmm. So there was a Thunderbird 4. When I started going to 48th Street in 1976, it was hanging in Weebuy, and it moved from store to store, <laughs> and it hung an accent for five years. Oh my God. $1,250. Now, I had a hard time finding $12.50. Literally, I'm <laughs> not kidding you. $12.50 was a lot of money to me. So $1,250, nothing. But suddenly, I've been working for about a year, summer of 82. Yeah, that's a money. Accent closes up. And they moved the stock back into WeBuy, the leftover stock. And that Thunderbird is hanging in WeBuy, and they priced it at nine fifty. And I'm like, nine fifty. And I went home and I was like, shh, tick, 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 and I came up with nine hundred and fifty dollars. I didn't have enough money for the tax. <laughs> and again, how do you get the balls to do this? I don't know. It's like it's like going over the hill in World War Two. Yeah, and yeah. You just do it. Yeah. Like, Fuck it, this I has went. to happen. <laughs> and, they, and they already kind of knew me. I was this long-haired kid, and they, they kind of knew who I was, so I bought a couple of things there, and I said, I want to see the Thunderbird. 
And yeah, I was like, sure, it brings it down. Neck, it's been hanging on the wall for at least seven <laughs> Ten years. years right? The neck is worth like this. He goes, you guys just straighten the trust out on this so I can give it a try? And he goes, sure, kid. And the old man says, hey, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And God bless him. I don't remember if it was Richie or Steve, or it might even have been someone else who worked in the store. Um, you know, um, Fred Smith from television worked there for years, and he became, became friendly with mm -hmm. me. They said, and they went, no, this kid's okay. Hmm. And they cranked the rod, handed it back to me, and I pulled the money out. I, I knew to do this. <laughs> so I told us the that. Money out, right? I said, Show them the money. And I went, you fold the tax in, right? And he went, and the old man's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I handed him more money than I'd ever had in the world. Yeah, right. And I walked out with that thunder, and I still have it today. Yeah, that's awesome. Nice. I was going to say, where is it now, right? I still that's have always it. the best when you still but have that, it. But I have the receipt. July yeah. 23rd, 1982. <laughs> I spent every penny I'd ever had in the world wow. on that base. It's funny, because I used to give my receipts to all my guitars to my father to hold. Yeah. And then one day, not that long ago, he comes with an envelope. It's those receipts. Wow. Every single receipt for my Hummingbird guitars. I bought at Rogue Music. I bought my first vintage telly at Rogue wow. Music from Ed Sullivan. That's awesome. The receipts for everything, for my four track. Like, my father was so organized, he kept everything. So I kept. He That's kept crazy. all these receipts, and then one day he goes like, "Oh, you want these?" I'm like, "Oh my God, it's a receipt from my hummingbird." <laughs> In Richie Freeman's handwriting. That's yeah. awesome. So we're gonna roll through from this story into how I met Kush. So okay, so we have time, to. Although do that. we didn't know it, we we both probably walked past each other on 48th Street because he was spending his whole day hanging out on 48th Street too. So I got involved with this bunch of uh, bunch of kids that I'd known, and the younger brother of one of them came to me with this. Um, it was a. a Fender Tele bass that had been routed for a precision pickup. Nice. So it was kind of like a fake slab body precision, which right. I was looking for with all yeah. my might at that point. And he wanted like 185 bucks for it. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you 185. He was the younger brother of a guy I ended up playing with a lot. And he said, well, there's this bass I want to buy in this store over on the Lower East Side. Would you come over and look at it with me? Because he was only like 16 at the time. And I said, sure. We went over and it was an Epiphone Rivoli. And that store was St. Mark's Music. I didn't know they were there. I was spending all my time and money on 48th Street. Right. And I already knew about Matt Yuno, but he was such a dick to me as a kid. <laughs> such a I dick to me too, yeah. I swore to never, me and me and Me my, too. <laughs> I wouldn't spend a penny there. We were like 17 years old. We were looking in the window. We went in, and there was a red, or there was a, a white Mustang hanging. And my friend goes, that's pretty cool, but I think I want a red one. And from the back of the number, we're long-haired 16, 17-year-old kids. This voice in the back of the story, oh yeah, because the red ones always sound better. And that's how I met Matt Ewan. Nice. And then I went in with the Kenneth Shard Fender book, like looking for a slab body precision. So you ever see one of these? Yeah, I was like, you know what you're talking about, kid. That's a telly base. That's all. That's fake. So I was like, no, I don't think so. But anyway, um, so I started going to St. Mark's Music. And Ken, the owner there, is kind of a, kind of a crazy cat. He knew nothing about guitars. So he hired Chris. Chris started working there kind of by accident because he would come in and buy stuff. And, and Ken, the owner, realized he knew a lot more about guitars than he did. So we started kind of hiring him, like not even hiring him, but like giving him guitars to work there. And eventually right. started paying him. So when I started going to St. Mark's, Chris was a skinny kid working there. And compared to most people our age, we knew a lot about guitars. Compared right. to now with mm -hmm. all the books and shit out there, we didn't know squat. But right. at the time, <laughs> like I would pick up, and again, I was, I, I didn't even play, I didn't play guitar until I was 30, really like, play, like put effort into it. Mm -hmm. I was a bass player, that's what right. I did. I played guitar to write songs. Yeah. But 
So I'd pick up like an EBO and I'd go, oh, that's an early one. And Ken'd be like, how do you know that? You can't know that. And I'm like, well, you look at a bunch of pictures of people playing. Right. You can see what they're playing in 1962 and what they're right. playing in 1969. Right. And it that's looks the same thing, right? right. So, but he... he that he didn't have that mentality. Right. He's like, nobody knows this stuff. You you can't know that. So I'm like, okay, nobody knows it. So I knew when he made a mistake, and I would buy it. Mm -hmm. And Chris knew the same thing. Chris, yeah. <laughs> hey, you messed up. That's a good one. That's a bad one because Ken had no clue. So Chris got friendly with me from coming. I would come into the store. At that point, I was working six days a week. I had a day off. So what did I do well, on that day off? I went and bought guitars. <laughs> I took all the money. At that point, I mean, basic economics of life. I was living in an apartment with two other people. The rent was like $700. So I was paying like $200 a month rent. I was making $200 a week at my job. You're and I, rich. And I, but I had no life <laughs> right. because I was there. I didn't go out at night. I didn't buy food. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we took money out of the till to buy lunch every day. That was what fed me. Yeah. So I had like between four and $600 a month to spend to on instruments. Now, stuff. back in that era, something cool that we buy that wasn't a Fender or a Gibson was $225. Yeah. That was the stock price. Didn't matter. Guild Starfire, Burns Bison, uh, whatever it was, yeah. $225. Because they figured it wasn't worth 200 bucks, they wouldn't sell it. Yeah. So nothing was like 100 bucks. <laughs> it was a piece of junk, it was still $225. But I bought a lot of really good stuff for mm -hmm. $225. If it was a Gibson. Yeah. Mostly like, any box. Like. Yeah, any box, any Burns, anything yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not true of all stars. Actually, the first real—I have a Burns obsession. This is the private. We know the subject. <laughs> uh, oh, you haven't written that book yet, the though, right? The first real Burns I ever bought was an Accent, and it was a new Sonic bass. Uh, I didn't realize how rare it was at the time because I, I had no idea what it was. Actually, I just knew it was a Burns, and it was just—it's this tiny little pocket-sized bass. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Can I try that? And he goes, yeah, it sounds like a Fender, man. And I'm like, a Mustang goes, no, like a Precision. And I plugged it in. And he's right. This little toy had the biggest sound, so I paid. $425 for a new sonic bass, which mm. is probably three times what it was actually worth. Yeah. But it was just so no, cool. I'd cool, right? never seen one before. And then it was in perfect shape. And that's sort of my, that, you know, you go down the slippery slope. <laughs> but when I started going to St. Mark's, Chris discovered that I was into all this stuff, and he introduced me to Skip Henderson. Or rather, it can't introduce me to Skip Henderson. I don't know if you know about the legend of Skip Henderson. Sure. Skip Henderson I was New York all the time. Yeah. <laughs> He was, he was a nutcase, but he was a real mentor to both me and Chris. And he was obsessed with old stuff, old hair pomades. He was obsessed. He had an obsession with, like, the black experience in America. The, a lot of guys the, that the, age the did. The borderline creep, it was, it was genuine, and it was, it was honest, but it borderline creepy sometimes because, mm -hmm. you know, he was a pretty white guy. But, that happened back then. Yeah, but he, got, <laughs> but he was obsessed. He had a wide knowledge, a really bad sarcastic attitude, a super wide knowledge of instruments, and he would get stuff from England. So for someone like me who was obsessed with these weird English guitars, this was the connection. The guy, yeah. And he started running stuff over kind of for me. So I got my first, like, Beatlier Hoffner from him. I got two Burns Bison basses through him. It's like he was the one who was finding all this stuff and bringing it over. And me and Chris got to be friends. We started making trips out because Skip was in Jersey. Right. I didn't have a car. Chris didn't have a car, but his, his girlfriend had a car. So hey. we started making trips out there. And he started, like, when he would get something at St. Mark's, he would call me first. So we got to be pretty tight after a few years. And when I was, this gets, oh, the musical thing gets complicated. I was in a band called the Trifles, who were like this weird. 60s style band and we got uh, popular is the wrong word but we were sort of notorious in that scene and um, 
I got pulled into a band that two members of the Fuzz Tones decided to start. They, the Fuzz Tones was a very hot band around there. They actually were touring internationally. I think I had his AC30. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of Fuzz Tones uh, set lists. Yeah. And like yeah. a monkey mask and like yeah. some other weird that's things that's, in the case. That's, that's probably it. So anyway, With two fans in the back. <laughs> um, I got pulled into this band that became the Headless Horseman, which was me and Iron Alon from the Fuzz Tones. And we were sort of like... Yes, I'm arrogant. We were like the cream of the New York that 60s. Seed, right? they were, he was, I was by far the best drummer. Alon was absolutely the best guitar player. I was certainly the flashiest bass player. Mm -hmm. And we started as a trio. And Ira, this is, again, the story is, is tangential, but Ira decided he was going to be a rock star and he got in this band that had a development deal. And they sent development help for us. So we lost our drummer. We decided, well, without him, we're going to have to expand it to a four-piece. So Alon's like, well, do you know anyone who could use the guitar player? It's like, well, there's this guy who works at, at St. Mark's, and he's like a punk rock dude, but he loves 60s stuff. Maybe he would be good. So I asked Chris, hey, would you, be in, would you want to come and audition for this band that we have? And he was like, yes. So he became the rhythm guitar player in the Headless Horseman, and that's when we really became friends. Right, that's awesome. So a couple years into that, uh, he was working. Ken had moved St. Mark's Music into New York guitars. They took over the old Irving Claw Photo Studio on 14th Street, where Betty Page had been whipped and right. everything. Like one of their employees was so obsessive, he would find the spot on the floorboards where Betty Page's shoe had. Ah, wow! Oh, that's just look at the molding there. There's that nick in the molding. Uh, that's where her foot was. Wow! Like, wow. He would find that Man, out. that is obsessive. That's yeah. yeah but they had there. kind of a vibe. But they ran that for about a year, uh, and it was like exactly what it was. It was uh, 86 to 87. They ran there for about a year, and then Ken basically uh, absconded with all the money and all the tax money, and Chris was kind of left with the store with the IRS coming in to seize everything. <laughs> so they said, come down, take anything you want. They, they, they're going to come and seize it. So he was kind of on the outs. I've been working in record stores at that point for seven years, six and a half years, and I was kind of tired of it. So we started just talking at rehearsals. Why don't we start a guitar store? So I put up the, he put up whatever, his money was all down a hole with Ken. He put up the money to start the store with Ken, so he was fucked. So I put up the money, and we got a little space, and we opened Mojo Guitars. No, it's on 14th the way, Street. Uh, not, not on 14th Street, on 12th Street. 12th Street between 1st uh, and 2nd. That's wow. where the original Mojo was. Huh. And I want to put the rest of the rumor here. Everybody calls him Mojo now. I fucking named that. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to call it... Airline guitars. So we should call him like Airline. His, so it sounds like his girlfriend's name. <laughs> oh, and I was like, that'd be weird. And I was it like, no, right. we're not, we're not calling it Arlene guitars. That's yeah. not. Gonna well, when I met Mojo, we everyone called him Mojo. Yeah, I didn't well, even know he had a real name. Yeah, well, that's, like, well, that's. But I'm the. I gave him that fucking name. <laughs> I will slap him in the face if he disputes that story. I never uh, knew that wasn't his last name no. until like a few years ago. <laughs> so, so we opened Mojo Guitars in July '87. And I don't know, you, you couldn't, it's like music, you can't do it, we did it on a shoestring. Yeah. We did it on $2,500, which yeah. is what I had. And I put instruments from my own collection on the wall. That's what so I did, yeah. So it looked like you had shit. Yeah, so you guys never sell. <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I would sell. Yeah, look at the first picture of Mountain Cat, they're all my guitars. I quit my job at the yeah, record yeah. store, so I put every penny I had into it. Um, his dad was supposed to put up money and... You know, true to the family. Didn't. Name. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow we survived for a you couple make, of Well, you years, make it, years. you're more aggressive that way. Like, I feel like, like I could go into a bank and get a loan when I opened Mountain Cat. Yeah. And a couple of years before that, I could have. Yeah. But the economy had crashed completely yeah. right before I did Mountain Cat. It crashed in, in 2009. Yeah. And yeah, I we, opened Mountain Cat in 
2009. Yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> both did it this like, <laughs> same year. I walked into a bank and they laughed. They literally we, laughed. We opened in 87, 88. I was like, can I have $100,000? The They're huge, like, you can have $5. Yeah, the huge New York crash was <laughs> yeah. 87, 88. We probably benefited from it yeah. because we got this cheap space on the Lower East Side. You know, and it was still Junkieville down there. Mm -hmm. we, yeah. we were between like a seedy antiques place where the guy didn't have a bathroom, so he pissed in a pot. <laughs> and he would dump the pot in the street. Ah, nice. At a, at a Chinese restaurant, and we used to get like a fried chicken from the Chinese restaurant, so it was the cheapest thing. And the pigeons would be on the street, and Chris would go, ah, lunch, lunch. Oh. And the guy would go, no, no, chicken. And be like, lunch? Oh, <laughs> but you never knew, really. You yeah. really, you had, but yeah. To, you had that feeling. Yeah. Like, now it's your fucking lunch. They were, yeah. they were, they were <laughs> But, uh, but we, I, you know, we started this little store, and we survived for a few years, and um, you know, things, things always go good, bad, ugly. I, I realized after a few years, the place wasn't going to do what I wanted it to do, um, and also the band was, you know, you go through crap in a band. Totally. And well, you guys were touring the world. Which are, which we took tours of Europe. We and I, you know, without getting into all the personal stuff, I, I walked out of the store eventually. Because it, it wasn't, it wasn't going. Partnerships are hard anyway. It wasn't going where I needed to go, so I basically. But you guys were in a band together too. Yeah, so I walked down the store. And I Did you walk out of the band also? Well, I said, to, I said to the <laughs> other guys in the band, "Here's me and Chris aren't going to work together anymore. Here's your choice: you can keep him, or you can keep me. You and I." Oh, it's one of those. So you didn't play in the band anymore. And they just, they just, you know, they hummed and hawed. And I said, "All right." Um, so I, I walked out on that band as well. Oh, so it all ended at the same time. So it all ended at the same time, and you know, I walked out feeling like Chris owed me something. And I still did business with him for a few years later, but I, stuff started to disappear. You know, bass disappeared down the drain. Um, and, it, you know, for years and years, I would get these misses. Chris wants to know what it would take for you to talk to his friend again. They said, we can pay back the money he owes me, for one thing. And gradually over time... It happens, yeah. That, you know, we, we, and now, he, you know, now I would say we're pretty good friends, although it doesn't mean I wouldn't hit him with, in the head with a bass. <laughs> <laughs> for the right thing. And, you know, he might stab me with something. Well, he but, should be sitting right here to defend yeah. himself, so since he can't, well, we can talk I, shit yeah. about him, we, which we, is awesome. We, we, over the past 10 years, we've, we have a working relationship, and, you know, we, he calls me basically every couple days, and we chat. Yeah, every time I talk to him, he just spoke to you, and I yeah, speak to Mojo every day. We talk about guitars, I mean, we're, we're like two old... Mojo is like Richie Freeman in the way, like Danny used to say, no one likes guitars on this planet more than Richie Freeman. Yeah. Like... Like, I remember one time we were sitting at Chelsea, me and my friend Roger, and the Paisley Telly reissues just came out of the Blue Flowers, and we called Richie. I'm like, hey, Richie, what are those Blue Flower? Like, what could we get those for? And he gives us the price, and then we're talking. And literally, 45 minutes later, he comes, pulls up in front of Chelsea, double parks, runs in, throws us two of those, and runs back out. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, okay, what do we owe you for this? I don't know. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. We're like, Jesus. Like, I still have that guitar. <laughs> But he was just the hardest working man in show business. Yeah. He, you know, like he would do that all the time. Like, yeah. like he just loved it. Yeah. Like Mojo loves it. Well, it, becomes, like, it becomes your, you know, it becomes your life. But some people are just so into it. Like they, yeah. you know, like Friedman would, you know, never stopped. Yeah. Like well, never. Well, as long as you have a sense of humor, you know, I the thing that I find most annoying in people is when they don't have any passion for anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's a word. Something is weird. Well, right yeah, well, in our oh, business, we find those kind of people. It's all kind of the same. I go to movies, I watch TV, I play games, I hang out, I drink yeah, music. Like, I don't do, do any of that. <laughs> what, what do you do? I play right. shows I and I mess focus. with guitars. I find those people, to me, are completely... I don't care what you're passionate about. If someone comes in here and he wants to talk about like 19th century architecture, yeah, let's this do guy it. knows... Right. Yeah. Or some, some, someone comes in here and knows 
all about like art or something or anything. Yeah. You know, I'll talk about music all but day Danny long. Courtney, Ch like the owner yeah. of Chelsea, had that for a million things. Like yeah. sometimes guys just like guitars. Danny had it for everything. Yeah. Anything. Mooseheads. Yeah. Like crazy <laughs> shit. You're like, it was, it was, it made Chelsea into like a crazy yeah. junk store. Yeah. But he had that passion. Anything he, he, someone got into, he would read about it for weeks and then start buying things. Like he, yeah. he was passionate for literally anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you focus in life. But he was, a, he was awesome. People would just go in there and talk to Danny because he would get into pens. Yeah. yeah. And then he'd start buying pens. And then it would, it would, be on to the next thing, these lenticulars. Oh, yeah, that then, remember fun. that period? Then it was yeah. Schwinn bicycles. The yeah. store's filled with Schwinn bicycles <laughs> yeah. in the 70s. Surfboards. Yeah. Yeah, Danny grew up in Queens. He totally. never surfed in his entire life. Surfboards everywhere. But that's where I got it from you two guys. And then it's like, but then before that, I was working for Giorgio Gomowski, <laughs> yeah. who had his own, you know, Giorgio. I, I the Giorgio sponsored the trifles briefly. That's, so I got to meet Giorgio. He was yes. my first boss. I, you remind me of the Yardbirds. Well, yes. that's why Danny hired Cobra. Yeah. Well, he wasn't Cobra yet. He's like, oh, he worked for Giorgio Gravelsky. I was like, yeah. the Yardbirds guy? Yeah. yeah. Like, really? We practiced in his space, mm -hmm. and it's like where Jesse Malin was, who... Uh, you guys oh boy forever. I have a Jesse story yeah. I have but Jesse he, stories that are Mojo just put yeah. up a picture he was your bus driver yeah he was our van driver <laughs> that's so funny I don't think he was even old enough to have a license <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, not, this, I'm not exaggerating I don't think that's he so was old you guys were in Europe someplace right he, he, he had a license he had a van he, he drove us all through Canada once that's so funny and you know I've slept in a bed with Jesse man. yeah that's amazing. So yeah, that's how I. Jesse's just one of the Jesse's one of those dedicated cats I've ever met. Yep. And he and yeah. if he sees me, he's like, "Hey man, Pete, how are you doing?" Yeah, he never yeah. lets a moment go by. Yeah, cool cat. You know, you know, he's but, been a pretty big rock star. Yeah, been, but he no, never he's, like he never everyone he's ever just met is still his shit. Yeah. You know? He he. Oh Pete, here yeah, have yeah. a beer. You know, have have this. Totally. Have the, you in my place. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like it's, it's almost that old kind of. It's like, an old yeah, New York thing. thing. Like hey, you yeah, you're part of the family. Right. I met him when I was eighteen. Working at Chelsea, like, because he was in DGen practicing at Giorgio's space. Yeah. And then in high school, I had a band and got in there, and we were in there. And then Giorgio told me because I was working for him for like a year. He's like, "You need to go work at the guitar shop. You love guitars." Yeah. And then met Jesse, and that's how. Well, he called Danny or something. Yeah. Danny, Danny was like, "No, I can't hire you, but what do you do? You seem all right." I was like, "Oh, I work for Giorgio." <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. He's like, "If he comes in, and says you're a good guy, I'll hire." You. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Giorgio and then that was it. Yeah. Giorgio Gomelsky saw the Trifles in 1984. Yeah. And it was a, it was a band. There were two women in the band. It was a very flashy. We were not a great band technically, but we certainly had a vibe. It was a show. And people just were like, "Oh, this band is." We people thought we were cool instantly before they heard the music. They thought we just, we knew how to look. Right. And Giorgio saw us and got really excited. He tried to promote us a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't end up signing anything with him because, you know, first his rep was pretty shady. Mm -hmm. Second of all, <laughs> he didn't seem like he was going anywhere. But it was cool. It was, it was know, so cool. Us, it's still Giorgio Gromowski. Lifetime yeah. Yardbirds free. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. The Yardbirds, a Giorgio Gromowski production. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No one has the balls yeah. to that anymore. Yeah, yeah. It, it right. Yeah, that is. It's like Andrew Oldham trying to like plug yeah. the electric guitars into the wall socket. Yeah. He didn't even know what an amp was, but he owns the Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that, I mean, the business is completely different now. The guitar business is different, and the music business is mm -hmm. different. And I actually feel bad these days when younger kids come in who are obsessed with the guitar. Because at least when I was younger, there was this vision that whether or not you made it big, there was like a lifetime yes. in guitars. 
it, that's different now. I think maybe, you know, they're saying this whole pandemic thing is people are really turning back to playing guitar again. Mm -hmm. Oh, the sure. Yeah. Ever had. So maybe like the new generation. But it was always happening. This is the busiest time. No, I have a 16 year old kid. I'm yeah. teaching guitar. He's starting to work at my store. He's like 16. He's trying to learn all this. I'm teaching him Stormy Monday. Yeah. And he just wants to sound like Dwayne Allman. Like, yeah. I'm like, all right, there's hope for the future. He wants, yeah. you know, like, you know, it just keeps regenerating because he's trying to learn the same songs yeah. I was learning. I was 16. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Like, yeah. So, you know, it's. And he's into guitars. It's you know, he just got his first Les Paul. Yeah. You, I mean, he wants, I, I, you know, I left. I was working on a couple of instruments last night, and I left SNL on. Um, I, my wife is away right now, so I can work on instruments in the kitchen. I don't nice. know, I usually come down, <laughs> here, but she's out on a set right now, so I'm like, oh, well, I'll work on this bass over here, and I have this Lionel Healy flat top. So like the whole kitchen is a guitar shop. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so I left SNL on, and you know, Nick Jonas comes on. And the music, there's no guitars, it's all trapped. And I'm like, well, this is what's being fed to kids. Right. But then you meet the kids who become obsessed. There's enough groundswell yeah. of people who are just like, well, that's it's not, I'm like, not interested in what But I like Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, but I it's, agree. But they were all, kind of, it's got a cool vibe. But it's that. always yeah. been that same thing. Yeah. Nothing's yeah. ever been search. cooler than Led yeah. Zeppelin. The, so the, like, the kids that, will always yeah. want to play a whole lot of love. The thing that kills the rock and roll thing to me. I, I, I'm sort of like, I don't subscribe to the rock and roll myth the way some people do. I was mm -hmm. listening to Paul Whiteman Orchestra all week. You know, I like, I, I yeah, have a yeah. range of stuff, but when I had moms coming in here who were making their son take like funk bass class, <laughs> and the kid is obviously like, yeah. This is what's I gonna hate kill funk it. bass. Yep. Because it's gonna be what your parents don't you know. Well there's a lot of those parents who want to live be, vicariously through yeah, the kid, exactly. you know, like so that. You have parents, I older parents that. forcing their kids to like rock and roll. That's what we'll Then yeah. they'll become lawyers. They'll become lawyers. They'll, they'll <laughs> turn off to it forever. Well that's what happens. Lawyers, yeah. kids become guitar players and guitar players' kids become lawyers. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the, that's My father was a lawyer. That's, that's an excellent <laughs> My father's yeah. father was a lawyer, and look what happened. Because they wanted me to be a lawyer. I was like, what's the polar opposite of lawyer? Yeah. Guitar guy, I'll take that. It <laughs> was all politics. Yeah, my father said, "Look, don't become a lawyer. It sucks." I'd have been like, "Dude, I really want to be a lawyer." <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. It sounds so excellent. Yeah. But since he was like, "You, you should really become a lawyer," I was like, "Guitar guy is my yeah. choice." <laughs> and it, one day, it's funny because we finally turned around and he said, "Like, you are right." And I was like, "No shit." Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know that. I knew it then. But, you know, what responsible father? Well, now they say, oh, pursue what you love. Back then they said, do not pursue what you love. Yeah. It will be a horrible accident. Yeah. <laughs> pursue what you hate and make money. Yeah. Well, you know, I like, mean, <laughs> the people who've spent their lives, I, I mean, we all meet a lot of people who spent their lives in the guitar business, and they come from all different all different backgrounds. But it's a tribe. Yeah, but like, it's, it becomes it well, becomes a tribe it, because you sort of you end up rejecting the conventional path. That's mm -hmm. what it was when I first yeah. met Les. It was like an outward biker thing. Like yeah. Les was an outlaw. Like he did not exist on paper. Yeah. Ever. He refused to. Oh yeah. He did not. There was not a single government document with his name on it, and he thought that was cool. Yeah. You know, like you can't do that anymore. I, I was once lost, like doing the books. Yeah. Like my first week there, I thought it'd be like a really good idea to keep track of the money. Mm -hmm. He walked in, he looked at it, he just ripped it up and threw it in the paper. And said, "Don't do this anymore." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, don't write stuff down. I I met him in the early '80s when I started to learn there was a world beyond 48th Street, and he put an ad. You know, and this is I, I love telling stuff like this to people from who are internet era people. Are like the what? It's like well the byline. Right. Yeah. So before there was an internet, there was this cheap shit called the Byline. Yeah. And I would buy it every week and flip to the back, musical instruments. Yeah. 
And I bought, you know, I bought a bunch of stuff, but that's how I discovered Guitar Loft, which is his place on 37. Right, I never saw that because it was and, before uh, me. And you told me that it's up. So I wanted to put this down because, you know, for future generations, what Guitar Loft was, where there were these two little buildings. You know, they used to knock down whole swaths of a street. He was on 37th between 8th and 9th. So he was in this, it's not really a brownstone, it's like a, a, a four-floor walk-up building with a staircase out front, but there are only two buildings. And the area around it looked like a London bomb site. That's where wow. it lived. They knocked down everything in the area. Right. And this building was leaning over slightly. <laughs> That's where he lived. <laughs> so it, he'd sort of walk in, and he had to go up to the top floors. And the whole thing, the stairs kind of go. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but up there, there were, just, there were parts and guitars and shit all over the place. And this is where he built the fake Discoverer base. And he was building Flying Vs. And he, I bought it. I met him buying a refinished '57 Precision from him because I was looking for a '50. That was the first '50s Precision I ever owned, mm -hmm. and it was like $600. <laughs> and they wanted like $800 or $900 on 48 if they even had something like that. But he had parts lying around. He was talking about how he built stuff for John Entwistle, and he gave me. It didn't have a pickguard. Had the wrong pickguard. I said, I think I got a good one somewhere. And he pulled out a '52 Precision pickguard and just gave it to me. I still have that pickguard. <laughs> That's to this awesome. Day. Um, he and I had some problems later on, but early on, I gotta say, it was it was like, it, but it was like the outlaw biker thing. It was like it was like being a junkie, but it wasn't junk. It was something. Else. But it was yeah. something else, and there was but, also junk. But creeping up, that's what's beginning the problem. Yeah. <laughs> creeping up the, the the rickety staircase to this place where this crazy guy with crazy hair, this oh, yeah. big fat guy, big Nicaraguan guy. Well, he was yeah. like my uncle. Like he became family to me. Like he was more important to me than anyone else in my life. Like he gave me a. A job. Yeah. No, give me a job. You know, like, I, so I worked with him every day. He was like my uncle. I loved him. You know, like, and he taught me everything. Well, not everything I know, but he taught me a lot of shit, you know, which that I later taught to these guys. But, yeah. you know, and he was such a nice guy. He had some issues, <laughs> for sure. But he had such a good big heart for people who had problems. Like, anyone who walked into Chelsea with a hard luck story got a hundred bucks. You know, like, I was like, really? A hundred bucks for that crappy story? That was like a $20 story. <laughs> it was like a, a bullshit story. I don't even really feel like, sorry for that guy. You'd be like, it didn't matter. As long as it was like a decent, like, as long as you could present it, yeah. it you got a hundred bucks from less. Like, I was like, that was, a, that story sucked. I can't believe you paid that guy for that. Like, but anyone who was down on their luck, he was there. That's what Chelsea Guitars was to him. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the people, I mean, you know, it's funny. We are talking about all these stories of coming and going. A lot of the people who were in the guitar business in that era are either gone or have gotten out They're of it. dead. Along or... the way. You know, Steve <laughs> Henderson has been in New Orleans, worked with kids for a long time. You know, I don't know if you ever knew Steve Milkothusian uh, and Angela. Mm -hmm. He's out, John Sprung is out of the business. A lot of people who really started the vintage guitar business. Yeah, didn't, kinda, couldn't know, last a, or. A lot, of them, a lot of them, when big money came into it, I remember, you guys remember the shittery era. Yeah. When right. money started, a lot of those guys who considered it like a tribal hobby, like right. had that kind of vibe that like you're talking about, mm -hmm. when the big money, when the moneyed collectors, Started invading the electric the business, market. Yeah. A lot of those guys got discussed. That was Skip's thing. He just peeled out when the lawyers started buying. Yeah. And it wasn't about the money to him. It was about you had to be, you had to be in the tribe. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. these people who weren't in the well, tribe. What changed? Like when you go to the New York guitar shop before all this, when I first met Mojo, like that back then, it really was like an outlaw biker yeah. thing. It was all cash. Yeah. Everyone came from their little towns and they were doing the guitar thing. 
you know, but it was about playing yeah. in a band. It was about obsession. It was about you know, obsession. And yeah. doing this thing. And like it's mostly right, guys right. it was guys who couldn't fit in anywhere else. Yeah. They just didn't fit anywhere else. There's no way no way less could have fit in any place else. Yeah. It was impossible. Yeah. You know, like I didn't fit in anywhere else. I yeah. tried. I just didn't work. When I met Chelsea Guitars, like I found my groove. You had to either you know, like, when money came into the market, you had to either accommodate it. Or, or right you, at Chelsea, like because yeah. that happened when I was at Chelsea, and we just kind of like like all right, we could sell these for a lot of money, but if someone's a dick, we're still throwing them out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you yeah. know, like if someone's a cock, we're just throwing them out and treating them like shit. I, I remember at the '89 guitar show, um, there was a guy that I knew who was actually working the door for Skip at the time, but he was a real proletarian rock dude, like played a Telecaster, you know, like this. Mm -hmm. And when he saw a Tele on a stand with a thousand dollar price tag. He got so offended, like that. I walked by and I wiped a booger on it. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Because it was like he was so offended that someone put a telecaster it's up. Wrong. I hate to think what like a $40,000 telecaster would. Yeah. yeah what oh, kind of man. reaction that would elicit. I mean, yeah. you know, we. I'm going to segue back a little bit because um, I guess I'm supposed to try to promote this place a little bit. I'm the world's worst. You're allowed to. I know, I suck at it too. But this is promoting Well, actually, we do need yeah. to. Well, let's do yeah. your segue and then but, we need what, to what segue yet again. Um. You know, to me, the money that they, a lot of people, oh, what's the most expensive guitar here? Right, like, people what? always ask that question. It's like, and it's like, why it's do you a care? Stupid, what, you're going to come back that, later and rob me? That's the least. <laughs> that's the Let least, me show you what to steal. That's the least interesting question. You I know, and I get asked yeah. all the time, what's the most expensive guitar you in your shop? I don't of, fucking know if there's a lot of you, well, yeah. well, you know, that, that's, how, that's how they sell it to people who aren't interested in the subject. Right, you guys you know, are Chris, expensive. Chris, Chris Mosier worked with some of these reality show producers, and they told him nobody cares about the object, they care about the money. Mm -hmm. Because right. that's what they think they can sell. But the, a lot of people do feel that way. It's all about them. They're looking, oh, how could this be worth this kind of money? Right. I mean, what, that's what, really just the very surface yeah, part I mean, of this. The, the shtick here is the thing is what it is. Well, the most interesting thing about the it is most, people like you and people like Cobra and people like me have made a life out of this. Yeah. With other yeah. people, I, everyone I know is in this business. You know, like like when I found Chelsea, I really found my people. Before yeah. that, you know, I played in bands, I knew musicians, yeah. but then you found out there was a whole culture yeah. of people like me who didn't fit in yeah. in a business suit in mm -hmm. an office someplace because they wouldn't talk about Peter yeah. Green all day. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and that's all they did at Chelsea Guitars. Yeah. Talking about Peter Green all day. I was like, Gene Smith taught me all the music I know at Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, listen to free. Yeah, we were playing some songs. It's like, that's not how you play that. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I learned it from Paul Kossoff. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, like, okay, you rule. Yeah. You know, like, but, you know, like, and then you you know, there is a whole world of people like us. Like Daniel worked, started working at Chelsea when he was maybe 13 or 14. You were maybe 15. Well, like, yeah, right out of high school. Yeah, like, you know, people started, you know, I know Daniel since he's a little kid. I know Daniel's mother. She's my age. <laughs> <laughs> most, most people who work in, I hate to call it the straight world, because the world is crookeder than it's ever yeah. well, People in the straight world could be 10 times crazier than people yeah, in our no, world. They just don't look it. But that, well, that's, <laughs> you know? what I was going to say is there's this, there's this concept that you're normal or not normal. Right. right. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of people who, who kind of suppress what they really want to do. And and work a path. They're you know to me they come in here and they're they're way more dangerous. They're, they're way more dangerous. Yeah, well, they have money. money. They that's, scare that's the me. Difference. They have yeah. money. Yeah, because <laughs> I got my rocks off. You know they didn't. Yeah, well that's it. <laughs> I did crazy shit. You know, I think a lot of the a lot of the reaction in the guitar world when when lawyers and doctors and people who made a lot of money wanted to kind of relive their teenage dream came in was just kind of like oh you know they're they're. 
they're polluting our well good ocean. for them you know like you know they had a kid or whatever they needed to make money there's nothing wrong with any of that you know good for them but don't fuck up our thing I, I'm, I'm in favor. <laughs> I tell, we get people some of you are you know, 56 years old come I never played guitar I'm like you want to start yeah, start now. It's fucking right. awesome. It's, it's you know, start even if you only learn a C chord. Who cares? Play, guitar's exactly. the best thing. I, I, I always look around my house and I go, what the fuck is cooler than guitars? Like, what could, what, what could you fill your house with we that's cooler than that? <laughs> we live in an observational culture what, where we're trained to just stare at a screen all day. Mm -hmm. There's so much entertainment now. I've actually turned off, like, I really don't... Yeah, really we talked nothing. about that. I don't like, want to see any drama. Yeah. You know, I, I want to... I want to watch something, it's like, if, it, if it's like a documentary. Yeah, I like documentaries But I don't need anyone shit. else's drama. I'd rather just sit and listen to records. Yeah, me too. I'd rather talk to I, my friends. I, I got obsessive about, you know, I, I still have... Um, before I was into guitars, I was in at the same time, before I had the money to buy guitars, I was buying records. Me too. Yeah. So I still have Love thousands records. of pieces of Yeah, money. I have all my records. So yeah. in my old age now, I'm getting back to, like... <laughs> I still have the whole thing. I haven't, yeah, listened, I haven't listened to Dave D. Dozy, Beaky, Dick and, uh, Dick and Pick in about 30 years. Let's put that on. It's like, oh, these are, these are great, bad records. I love so if you don't mind if we <laughs> really segue yet basis. again, because... <laughs> Josh brought a really cool guitar project we've been working on, and so did Cobra. Mm. Right. So, if we could, and then we'll get back to Retrofred, of course, because we're still, well, these podcasts always need a part two and a part three, because there's a million things we haven't talked yeah. about <laughs> that we will have to. But, here, you hold this. Yeah. This is, looks awesome. I'm seeing this for the first time. Wow. And you are, too. That's very um, nice. So, this is one of our latest projects. This was a Les Paul special. Like just a little, oh, whatever, 90s Les Paul special. Mm. Um, with a not broken neck 90s. that I bought. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> 90s, but, oh, you, you guys should see 90s. this. Yeah. Can you go in on that? This one, this looks amazing. This one really rather checked. That makes so, play, uh, oh well. I know, right? <laughs> or it's very pearly gates-ish. Yeah. Um, so what I did um, is sent it to Brian Monty, who is a guitar wizard in Canada. And he has been for a, a million years. He's a million years old. Yeah, <laughs> a million and more. No, but I met him at Chelsea like you know, years and years ago. He's, you know, he's an older fellow. He's he made my killing. First guitar, so. Right, right. He's just <laughs> killing dude. I've known him forever. He builds guitars. Killing blues guitar player. Awesome dude. So he's up like outside of Montreal. So he's done this job a bunch of times for me over the years and other people, uh, not just for me. But he put a maple top on it. It was a special, and he could retop a regular Les Paul if it's got a stupid looking top. He could always, and he put a new neck on. Because cool. the neck was garbage anyway. And then he sent it to Josh for the finish. So Josh did this finish. Yeah, right. so finished it, aged it, assembled it. Uh, and uh, the thing is really a great guitar. Yeah, this um, one's super weather-checked. Some of these weather-check more than others. This one's really doing that thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean... The, take a look? Yeah. The, the lacquer can sometimes have its own life. Um, that one's super weather-checked. <laughs> but it sounds like that, doesn't <laughs> it? Even acoustically, that guitar sounds like a real Les Paul. I love that album. <laughs> nice. Well, I thought the God I know he doesn't say stick by me up in your garden hand. <laughs> don't ask me what I think of you, I might not give the answers that you want me to. That is my favorite piece of philosophy ever. Any human. Stop. Don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to. My legs are skinny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this has got that vibe. But that guitar acoustically has that thing. Well, it's, it's acoustically. 
Default records, brilliant. So good. Yeah, it's a pretty beast. Very nice. When the day goes to sleep, the moon <laughs> what a line that is. Yeah, this has that vibe, man. Totally. I just looked at it and went, oh, that's Peter Green. You gotta you yeah. flip this sucker around. Exactly. Right? Right. <laughs> but it's got the, you know, the way the top We've done the Peter Green yeah. guitar a few times for customers. Yeah. I touched the real one. Did you really? Yeah, it was, it was on a stand at a... <laughs> just, I mean, oh, that's right. I was at a guitar show. I, I, there. I will say this. I'm not... My fetishes are so different from the average guitar player. <laughs> sure. Most of the music that a lot of guitar fans love means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not going to go... I'll, you'll get so much bad man if I tell you all the people that I'm not inspired by. Peter Green is, to me, one of the absolute... Love Peter Green. There, but that's, there's no one who's done what he did the way he did it. No, yep. even I, that last album. Like... With the classical guitar bits in it, like no one was anywhere near what he was doing. And Danny Kerwin was a hell of a guitar player too. Cool. But you really know all that stuff. <laughs> That's such an amazing record. I can listen. There's records I can listen to. I was gonna make a list for the kids here. Records I can listen to a hundred times over, never get bored. Yeah, and then play on. And then play on is one of them. Ugh. And there's a great compilation, there's a couple great compilations from that era. Oh, those vaudeville oh, years and all that stuff. Yeah, this has got that vibe, man. I could do that. Yeah, Danny at Chelsea, like, yeah, was a Peter Green freak. D yeah, when I walked in there one day, we were talking about it, and he went, don't, just be, don't go see him now. Whatever yeah. you do, don't go see him. Yeah, those guys all <laughs> went one night. And I, know, was, I know you want He to came see back him. so depressed. Don't go. Yeah, he, it's, like, it's like seeing your old girlfriend from 30 years ago and what she looks like now. Yeah. Don't go. Yeah, he, <laughs> I remember them going to Tramps or something. Yeah. And they, he came back, he was depressed for days. Tramps, that was around the corner from yeah. Georgia. Yeah. But he was like so bummed out. Like we went to see John Fahey once. Me and Bobby Ross went to see John Fahey. And he was so bad. And he... His delay wasn't working and it was in tramps. I was like, Bobby, you gotta go help him. So Bobby literally He's just walked up on the there. stage. No one was helping him. Bobby just literally walked up onto the stage and fixed it for him. I was like, the battery's dead in this pedal. Like, and he was just sitting there. It was like oh. the weirdest thing. Yeah, that's I, I love John Faye. I thought I was gonna go see Blind Joe Death. I didn't realize it was 30 years later and he'd been drinking every day since then. Yeah. And now he couldn't play at all. And he was, it was funny because I went to Barnes and Noble around the corner just to kill some time before the show. I didn't realize he was the guy standing next to me also killing time reading a magazine. He was like 100 pounds heavier wow. than the picture I saw. I so the drunk guy next to me at the Barnes and Noble was John Fahey. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they, they do say never meet your idols. Yeah. I've actually been incredibly lucky. What was it? It's my earring. I've actually gotten to play with a couple guys whose records meant a lot to me. And generally, they've been really, just really incredibly cool people. I got to play with Mark Lindsay. Mark Lindsay is one of the coolest cats I've ever met. Wow. He didn't get screwed in the 60s the way most of them did. Right. He owned his publishing. Terry <laughs> Melcher took care of him. He owned his publishing. But I've met so many people that I love. They're you know, playing yeah. at Chelsea. Hilton was like and no one was ever not as cool as I thought they were. I used play. to play with Roy Loney, and Roy was such a gentleman. I mean, he was he an was absolute drunk, but he was the sweetest. <laughs> he, he used to stay with me a couple of times, and uh, my mom had passed away and left her bar behind. And Roy's like, oh, is it gonna, is this? I said, right, take whatever you want. Yeah. On my mind. And, you know, he would drink a bottle of vodka night. And, wow. And not, and he would eruditely discuss film. 
Oh. Wheeler and Wolsey. He introduced me to the silent, uh, early sound film comics. Wheeler oh and Wolsey. Oh my God! Obsession of <laughs> wow. But the guy who cut Teenage Head. We would sit and discuss acting from the 1920s and stuff. It's just kind of amazing. But so I've had pretty good luck. But I mean, occasionally you do see someone. Right, you meet people all the time. Like I, you know, Chelsea, I met just about everyone. Well, I like yeah. their playing at yeah. one point yeah. or another. Did you ever hear about? Uh, I used to do these shows called the Cave Stomps. And basically what they were is they would bring back 60s garage bands. They reunite them as much as possible. And I ended up being the ringer in a bunch of bands. So if somebody said it was always the bass player who was gone, the Standells like, we had three bass players. One's dead, one's crazy, one's missing. <laughs> so often, so I, I ended up, I still am you officially, fill in a lot. I'm officially the bass player in the Blues Magoos if they ever do anything. <laughs> They're in their mid, most of them are in their mid-70s now. Make a t-shirt. So official <laughs> bass player unlikely. Blues Magoos. Yeah, he's going to tattoo that says that. So, you know, unlikely but possible. But um, you guys ever hear about the famous Shadows of Night debacle? Speaking mm -hmm. of never meet your idol. So the Shadows of Night, you remember the Shadows of Night, you know. They do this version yeah. of Gloria where the girl never makes it up to the room. So American... What? what? No, serious. You know, here's, here's a bit of music history for you young <laughs> fellas here. Uh -huh. So, you know, in the demo version of Gloria, the girl makes it... She comes in my room. Yeah, yeah. Mm, make her feel all right. The Shadows of Night were savvy enough, and these kids were 16, 17 years old, savvy enough to realize that American radio it's too, wouldn't the standards had too risque. Yeah. So the girl in the shadows of night song knocks upon my window. <laughs> That's as far as she gets. So <laughs> their version got played on the radio the and they version. had the top 10 hit with it. Wow. And they never so, got to have sex with Gloria. They made yeah. two really good albums and one really shitty one. But when they started doing the Cave Stomp shows in the 90s, they were the first bands. They were still an active band. Um, but John Weiss, the promoter, made the mistake of not vetting them first. Oh, no. So they show up, and remember, these guys, their, their last hit record was in 1966. <laughs> this is 1998. <laughs> wow. So they show up, like, and the only guy left is Jim Sons, the lead singer, and he's, you know, he's old, he's pretty porky, he's wearing like a leather vest open to the waist, <laughs> and his belly's hanging out. <laughs> oh. And he got like three dudes who are sort of, you could tell they're basically in Van Halen cover bands as yeah. their day jobs. And they get on stage, and it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever saw the Trogs. Reg Presley, the Trogs, got portly and cheesy, but it worked for the Trogs. Right. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they were a dirty band. They always <laughs> sounded like the Trogs. Mm -hmm. right. But these guys came up, and it was like, oh, they're kind of like, Oh, Jesus. And wow. I've never seen a collective audience of like five, six hundred people. Just business. mortified. And, and the, the, everyone was slack jawed. Staring at <laughs> like, what is happening? What total and, amusement? And, and Sons was really pissed off because he, you know, he was used to the club people, go, and, and it's like this is, I and mean, nobody told him this is a specialized audience. Yeah. So that was the most famous, like, don't meet, and he was a real dick to everyone. <laughs> the most famous, don't meet your idols thing. A couple of the other cave stop people turned out that way. <laughs> well, why don't you grab your guitar because we are coming near the end of oh, our yeah. time. This is fun. I like this guitar. And then he, that guitar sounds I'm really good. I'm not a Les Paul guy. I don't relate to Les Paul. It's funny. Good, I spend vibe. most of my time with Les Pauls and neither am I. Yeah. I know. It's funny. You work on more Les Pauls than most people. <laughs> I know. You don't even own a Les Paul. I don't own one. <laughs> I think they're gorgeous. They're just not for me. That's a really good finish, though. Yeah. I've never owned... Here, here's a weird thing. I'm, I'm the, the vintage guitar guy. Hand with it. Awesome. I've never owned a Stratocaster. Is that right? I haven't either. I've never owned a. That's I've, right. I've never, I did when I was never, young. I've never owned a 335. I, I, I owned it many, I've many times. Or my gold one. I, I oh. own. I've never. I've owned several Les Paul specials and a custom, but I've never owned a standard. Like the stuff that I like. Want to buy just, this one? You know more. 
More oddball. You <laughs> <laughs> end that right now. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what my Gibson saw, buddy, is Firebirds. I love Firebirds. I, I have two, love Firebirds. I have two Firebirds. I have two Firebirds. Oh, man, this is really neat. This is, this is the great. evolution of our Golden Road model, which is yet another Golden Road model, but this one's different. Yeah, this one I wanted... I love know. the uh, the arm. But does this like make the, sense? It's a car, the but then right where your arm would go, well, yeah. no, there's makes, nothing hurdy there. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Remember, yeah, I used to always great. had that rash on oh our my arms. God, I always had. Mine it. was permanent. Finally, so do I. That's weird. Yeah. We called it rock rash. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the binding on this, you play gigs every night. This is always all ripped up. Yeah. It would suck. Yeah. And wow. mine was scarred. Hey, look, it's still discolored. Yeah, mine was too. It's Funny. awesome. I know, it's good to have. Yeah, it's like track works. It's still there. <laughs> You're still there too. <laughs> what is wrong with us? Yeah, we rocked. But you won't get it from this guitar. No. So See, that's smart. That is smart. They should have did that on these. Like, your arm's going to be right here. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have to have these. I wouldn't be disfigured <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm you, not an animal. You wouldn't be the horrifying freak <laughs> yeah, you are exactly. now. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. It's, 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 it's good of us to have a girlfriend at some point. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like a musician as a builder. I know that, so I do that. Right, but why didn't anybody figure this out? <laughs> because they weren't playing. That's a good point. <laughs> Leo, Leo Fender wasn't a guitar player. That's a good point. I, I swear. Plus Paul was. Many, many yes. of the great uh, 50s and 60s guitar. guitars, nobody... Nobody tried them before they went on. Exactly. That's <laughs> true. All for the sure. Nationals and Supros. Yeah, your hands would mash into things. In those companies, play tested those. Yeah. Because if they had, they would have figured out quickly you need more than two bolts to hold the yeah. neck on. The frets are done wrong. Yeah, right. you got to make the truss right. There's a ton of knobs in the way. That's the thing about the offender, though. Spot. He yeah. had people try them. That, exactly. He had a lot of good friends. The yeah. reason the, the telly and the strat and the precision are what they are is because he knew. Country what Western guy. No. Totally. Yeah. Knew, right. Hey, what do you think of this? And yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every player. And well, I like this. I don't like That's that. why the Telly was such a perfect you know, guitar. Like, it was the first guitar. He could have just stopped there, and guitars would have never got any better yeah. than he that. He hit it out of the park on the, the first, first time, and then yeah. he made a P bass. I, I, Pretty I mean, fucking good. Can you <laughs> think of another industry where that's been the case? That basically the first of its kind is still is by the far one that's the best. The paramount. I mean, yeah. imagine if we were all ball. excited to get on the first bowling ball, the best one ever. The right flyer. Right, know, the first like, plane was the best plane ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't wait to go on my 12 second flyer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we can get to that part of Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. It'll yeah. be incredible. Yeah. We'll see you when you land because yeah. you can't go further than I can I mean, see. We'll yeah. literally see you. Exactly. Yeah. Right, like that thing. I would go. Right, right that's now. perfect. You guys want to do a session? You want to do a gig? I'll go Boom. on stage with this bass. This is a 1953 Precision. It's identical to a November so 51. Work every time. There's nothing on this bass that needs to be changed. Now, there's things they learn later on. Yeah. But there's nothing that doesn't work. Yeah, no, I can exactly. I can play your whole. You could play rock on that. You could play a Metallica yeah. song on it. It would sound better than ninety eight percent of the other bass guitars. Yeah, I would I would take this over anything with active electronics. Yep. I would take oh, this over yeah. anything with bingo wood. It's almost a yep. bigger anything achievement than the guitar. Is it is totally. a big, this is because I, there was no there was no bass guitar. He invented bass guitar. Like exactly. You know, like guitar other guys were doing electric guitars. He killed it with the Telecaster, but no one was doing this. Like there were other things like it, but no one. Came up with that, and you know, like really nobody to even field test it. They gave yeah. it. No, they, no one knew how to play it. <laughs> nobody, nobody knew what to do with it. And one of the questions I used to get asked a lot, and nobody's ever figured out the exact answer is, what's the first record with an electric bass on it? It's a good question. Who knows? Um, so there's a bunch of possibities. The first record with a Fender bass on it. Is it Elvis? 
No, the first record with a Fender bass on it would be one of the early Lionel Hampton sides from 1953 or 54. Huh. The then the bass player would be Monk Montgomery. Wow. And the problem is that they recorded like this. This has the mute still on, so listen. Yeah. It still sounds like an upright. Right. Totally. So you would have to get the 78 masters and really listen to figure out when he stopped bringing his upright to the session. Yep. He was touring with the Precision in 53. Right. So Easier almost certainly oh, yeah. one of the first records. Get through a door with it. And LaBella was making those first Fender flat ones. Yeah. If you guys ever find the Fender, original Fender flat rounds, and they have, instead of a ball end, it's a brass cup that mm -hmm. fits right in there. No way. A line from it. I've never seen it. It fits right it's in the grommets yeah. there? If you ever see a set of those floating around anywhere. Pretty sure that they made those. They did. Well, they, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what this bass came with. Totally. So, so they fit right in the grommet holes? They fit right yeah. in the grommets. It's a, it's a brass plug that fits right in I mean, there. How it's, interesting. It's almost like the early bullets, basically. Yeah. yeah. If you ever find a set of those flats, I'll buy them. I'll, like, I'll put them on my 52 Precision, and that base will be done for life. So huh. we're actually putting together, because there's so much history, but we're putting together cool. in the shop of oh, Bella nice uh, Museum. Because they have all of their old original toolings and yeah. everything wow. still in the factory. You know, over yeah. 100 years in New York. So, I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eric's got I, such I, an interesting I, I, story. I, I don't want to use the word collect, because I don't look for them, but if I find them, I buy them. I buy the old... 50s and 60s LaBella bass strings in the glassine pouches. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's, that I love about those, first of all, the best bass strings ever made. Yeah. Second of all, the core wire around them is so thick you can't really bend it. And that's the <laughs> secret to the sound. Nobody, exactly. nobody really makes strings so you get like the that. snap. But it has to be designed to fit the bass. So those old envelopes, uh, actually, I'll bring one down. It says the, the bass that's on it. And at first it was like for Fender, for Gibson, for K. Yeah. <laughs> so you can tell it's from the 50s. And then, only three, and then it's like, oh, other people start making bases. And it must have driven them nuts. Because by the mid-60s, the guy at the factory packing the strings oh has to hand-check the box. Yep. So I, one of the rarest sets in the world, I have one that says 4 Ampeg. That's because awesome. those are extra length. Those are right. That thing was long. Not. Right. That's awesome. So, but I collect. If you ever find a nice set of those strings, I yeah. collect those. Like, and the sad thing is, I feel bad now taking them out of the pouch and putting them on a base. Uh, yeah. But I'm might as well. Used. Yeah, you might as well. Two sixty-four Fender bases each. As long as you put it on the right base. Yeah, you don't put it on. You put on the wrong base, you break it. You're not gonna put it on like a sharp bell. I'm breaking into your moment here, but tell you can cut this out. Here's a LaBelle story. So you know Vincent Bell passed away last year. I went to Vincent Bell's house on the sale. And most of the, by the time I got in, because you had to be local to get yeah. on the list, most of the good stuff had been taken, but there was a box about the size of this couch of old guitar strings on the floor. Wow. And I was like, must be something cool. So I pulled out LaBella for Dan Electro, E, and went, that's kind of cool. And then I found the A. And going through a thousand strings, I found a complete set of LaBella flat ones for Dan Electro six string awesome. bass that had been Vincent Bell's that he never used, so I put them on my Longhorn six string. Per nice. So my Longhorn six string has Vinnie Bell's that, Bell's Bell's <laughs> that they probably LaBella. custom made for him yeah, for that he ordered. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, that's crazy. Yeah, it's Eric's birthday today. Oh, oh happy birthday, Eric. Happy yeah. birthday, Eric. Hope you're feeling better, buddy. <laughs> yeah, this one's very cool. So, yeah, so this one I wanted to, as, this is like my D'Angelico Paul Bigsby bring. So Midas. <laughs> yeah, just like things. the skinny waist, but then as curved as you can. 
And this maple is actually from Greenwood Cemetery, from a fallen maple tree. Wow. Man, you've, you've really been drawing a lot of uh, maple from there. Yeah. We got a big swap. Big cemetery. And then, <laughs> this, and then this one, since I'm such a vintage freak, like we all are, uh, this is going to be a gold top. And what's the tell on a gold top? Is the center line? It's never straight. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I crooked it. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let me just. Doug will be into this. Let me move it. Well, over. the Golden Road guitars were supposed to be gold. Yeah, <laughs> the, first the first one, one. But the first one was so flamey. We're like, yeah, yeah paint over a flamey it. top. Yep. So I saw. I have that guitar. It's my yeah. guitar. But so like this one will be gold. Yeah, yeah. But and then we're gonna do a Black Beauty one after exactly. this because Walter, I have a pick set of pickups that Seymour Duncan made for Walter, like big staple pickups. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we'll build a guitar around those because yeah. Nightclub gave them to me. So we'll build that guitar on those. But so this is the second Golden Road guitar. Yeah, and then, and then with the neck, with your other one, the this is rosewood from the Martin factory that they sold off because it was too red and too, you know, stripy. Yeah. And so this is the same fingerboard as yours also came off the same piece of wood and the same mahogany. But yeah. That's gonna, gonna be, be great. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Are you gonna do a uh, dark bag? It's gonna be all gold. Oh, oh, but it's oh, gonna have a lot okay. of stingers on it. Yeah, that's our <laughs> many yeah. stingers as can fit possible. Yeah. How many stingers are on mine? I think there's like six, six stingers on mine. <laughs> we have to go for seven. Yeah, stingers. yeah, I even fit a stinger here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was out at Lark Street Music and I was looking at a, a Stromberg, a Stromberg, and I was like, side stinger. Yeah, I called cover and I was like, Dude, side stingers! <laughs> I'm on it. That's a nice guitar. Yeah, that was, that was like the awesome. Super 400 thing. What do they call it? A the Master 400 master, or something? Yeah. That's a big guitar. That's a big one. You're New Yorker, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, Stupid so at this point, we should probably begin to wrap up. So, Peter... Um, I'm back. I'm back. In, in honor of, uh, of George Ogorowski and the short scale bass. Yeah, right. I love that. Jerry's like, I wouldn't play it like that. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I learned to play when I was 16. Yeah. That's why modern instruments and modern music have never interested me. It's not right? as cool as the Yardbirds. No. Oh, the Yardbirds are so cool. They don't know where to run to, don't know where to hide. <laughs> and I, guess I saw the, the revived Yardbirds play, and I gotta say, I've, I've never promoted myself as a player or anything, anything. Like, like what I do, yeah, I'll play a new record. But, yeah. but I saw the Yardbirds and I went, same guy's playing bass and singing lead, and I could do both of those better than him. Yeah. <laughs> well, who was in it at that point? I was gonna. I'm not gonna name names because nobody like, original. No. Oh no, it's two. The the Yardbirds at that point was two original members. It was Chris Drea, and it was Jim McCarty on guitar. Right. Mm. They had Jippy Mayo, who's wonderful on guitar. Yeah, he right. did a great Jeff Beckett version. There's a modern Yardbirds out there now. Who were a good Yardbirds cover band right. with uh, Jim McCarty sitting in on drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, And they do a good. I actually played on a bit with them not that long ago. They do a good show. Nice. Um, but it's you know it's it's a Yardbirds cover band. And right. Johnny A is playing guitar now, and he's good. I thought Jimmy Mayo passed away. He's not around anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was really good. He kind of had the madness. Mm -hmm. To get the Beck thing, it's it's more the attitude. You know, you it's gotta just all you gotta give them right. no. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And you should play a damn. Telecaster, not a Les Paul. Sorry, Les Pauls. Well, they didn't play Les Pauls. Well, he but, did later on. But right, the, the but best stuff is on the, the, the best stuff is on the Esquire. Yeah. yeah. On the Duncan Esquire. Exactly. Yep. 
I met Seymour Duncan once because he saw me and Chris standing with our Beetle boots and we looked at the Yarbers and he, he knew that we'd want to hear the story of how that <laughs> So he came right up and You guys want to hear the story. You guys yeah. want to hear this story. <laughs> tell you, we do, I want to tell it to everyone. Yeah, well, that's just 35 years ago. That's awesome. You still tell that yeah. story every day? Yeah. Well, it's a good story. Oh, it's a great you know, story. If you, if you had the Airbirds Esquire, you'd probably want to tell that story. Absolutely. So, um, so I guess we'll start to wrap up. Anything more you'd like to say about Retrofret? Well, I, w I would like to say that, um, you know, we have this, I think, hopefully we have a good reputation. Because great. We really love every guitar that comes in here. And again, guitars will walk in that we don't love and we go, you know what? this should be somewhere else. We actually will turn down stuff. So if we take a guitar in, it may not be the greatest. Yeah, you guys have sent stuff. They, yeah, they, by all yeah. that <laughs> they, they can't all be the best guitar ever, but we try to make sure it's the best it can be for mm -hmm. itself. Right. Like how good can this Supro be? How good can this Cutlass totally. be? How can we make this as good as it can get? And we're really, we feel like we're doing puppy adoptions. Mm -hmm. That's, That's the way I look at it. It's a, I always look it, at it as it's, it's an adoption agency. It's, it's an adoption agency, yeah. it really is. And you, and you know, you gotta pay the, you gotta pay the fee to get in, but um, you know, we, we try to put a lot of effort into making them as good as, like, as good, good and as original as they can be. Yeah. We don't change anything unless it has to be changed. We don't refret something. If the frets are shot, totally. we refret it. Right. We try to make it as nice as it, as it gets. And it's kind of like, I mean, I feel like, it, it kind of sucks to say it, but I feel like I'm here more for the instruments than for people in a weird way. That happens why we're all here. Business is also, <laughs> oh, we're all about people and customer service. It's like, I feel like, like guitars. I feel like at least personally, I'm kind of here to, to shepherd these guitars. <laughs> to nice people, and, right. And, and to nice to good people. I and mean, the person comes in who's like the right person. And they're cool, like, yeah. You're the right person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're the yeah. one who this. Right. You know, and that's that's kind of the vibe that we try to go for. We've directed we, it to a yeah. safe harbor. And we, and we really like, you know, one of the things I like doing is talking to younger people and kids and trying to get, because you know, you go on YouTube and you watch videos and you do tutorials, but a lot of a lot of people don't, I think, have the historical background. Why is this like this? Why yeah. is this guitar right. this way? That's what you miss out. And I like to talk to, to especially younger people, but you know, I've had people older than me who ask me, how come they did this on this thing? Right. You know? Totally. And I, I like to help people figure out what, like, what's in their brain. The sound is in their brain, especially if it's an older sound. Like, how can you make that? How can you manifest that for yourself and turn it into something you can use? Right. Kind of thing. And we don't really do pedals and stuff here, as you might have noticed. I don't either. A lot of stores like make their living. Yeah. Like, we, I, we try to educate people as to what the guitar itself. Pedals are sounds cool, like. but I don't yeah, have a passion. If you want to dress it up later, that's right. fine. I just We're personally don't really, use them. Yeah. I've so, never used a damn pedal in my Yeah, life. it's just not a passion. I have a two screamer and that's what I use. But I don't have a pat if I loved pedals, I would sell pedals. Yeah. Well that's but, it. That's that's exactly it. Don't get the nail on <laughs> But some people it's, do have a passion not, for it. It's just so I don't love it, so like I don't really want to spend my time talking to guys about right. it because it's not what I enjoy spending my time talking about. Yeah, we, you we know, love vintage amps. I like guitars and amps. Guitars, and and the cable. That's, that's the same thing. I have a cable. cable. Yeah, what Cables. do you use? I use a cable. A cable so in between have, them. <laughs> like, I, I, I personally have my, my if, I, if I ever gig again, my rig is whatever guitar I have that night. Uh, mm -hmm. My brown deluxe. The amp over there. And that cable over there. And, the, and, I, and I use a two Echoplex. And nice. I, I, would, I would play without the amp, with the two Echoplex plugged into the PA, I've done that. Right. For me, the two yeah, Echoplex, it's, it, it's the preamp. It's, that's the killer. Yeah, I like two right reverb. I like to have those Fender reverbs. Actually, I was on a bill uh, with a guy I've known for like 35 years, a couple years ago. He's like, man, you really should have a, an overdrive pedal to do this. I'm like, no. Just turn the amp up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're just turning your ass to the audience to turn the amp up. I'm like, yeah, that's the... So what? Uh, Hendrix yeah. did that. Way yeah, cooler. Hendrix, <laughs> way cooler way to do it. Yeah. So the whole, I mean... 
we have a bunch of different people who work here, but we all sort of have the same philosophy. Like the, the guitar, the, the object has a magic about it. We're, we're, it's about helping, finding the way that magic translates to someone. It gets them as excited as we are. No doubt. Yeah, so I don't really like to sell, that's why I like when I did Mountain Cat, I was like, I'm just gonna do it by appointment and only deal with people I wanna deal with. Yeah. You know, because I dealt with a lot of people I didn't want to deal with over the years, and I didn't want to do that anymore. So it's like, I'm just going to deal with people I like. I don't know how that'll work out, but it'll just have to work out. And it's, there's only one guy in the entire time I've been doing it, 11 years, that I just, like, I was on the phone with him, and he was just, everything was like, well, what if this is wrong? Well, what if that? And after yeah. a while, I was like, dude, you know what? Why don't you just, like, because um, he was in California, I'd have to, it was an amp, and I'd have to ship it to him. And I was like... Why don't you just buy it locally? Like, yeah. why, why are we even having this right. discussion? So I was like, you know, I, I'd prefer to just, you know, not do this. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, are you telling me you're not going to sell me this amp? I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is, Well, then yes. you're an asshole. I was like, well, you just proved my point. Yeah, right. You know, like, like that's exactly why I wouldn't <laughs> sell it. Yeah. yeah, now I'm an asshole? The guy was like, just buy it in California. Well, you're so worried about shipping yeah. the amp. Why ship it? Yeah. <laughs> there are people who are looking for problems. Yes. Right, that's all you do is look, look what if it gets it. here and it's making a buzzing it. noise? I, I sold, a buzzing noise? I, I sold a 65 Precision to a guy in California. who, And even Steve, watching the interaction, going, you sure you want to sell to this guy? Right, and you're like, and, oh, you know, it'll I, be okay. I was in the middle of the deal, so I went through with it, but he was right. Because the guy was just looking, and he got it. And he was screaming, buzzing at, me right the, he's here. screaming at me on the telephone because he took the cover off here. And the fade of the finish, of course, now the cover's been on since 1965, yeah. so the finish has faded. Somebody, somebody sprayed paint under the bridge cover. It's like... Because <laughs> it's a different color? I sent him pictures of, of what a fender, and then he's like, oh, oh, and there's this thing on the back. It's got, I took it to this guy, and he says, it has to be oversprayed. Okay. What had happened is the guy who shot, and this is 65, the biggest year of the guitar. You know how many Fender Precision? Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably five, 6,000. The guy with the spray gun went... Around the edge, and as he hit here, instead of cutting the gun right here, he let it piffle out. Yeah. So there was this little spot Oy. under the clear coat. But this, oh no, it's it's been oversprayed. This base is an original. He oh told me God. it was all. I'm just like, Oy. just send it. Back. That's yeah, how I say. I send it back. I have a hundred percent money back guarantee. You don't have to tell me why you're sending it back. Yeah. I'd rather not know. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've had a spate of people. Obsessed with every, they take a digital caliper to the nut. And if it's a millimeter, because our the scale that we use has increments. It's like mm -hmm. an inch scale. So say one and five eighths, one eleven sixteenths. Oh, you you said it it was one hundred and thirteen millimeters. It's, it's one hundred and twelve. I'm sending the guitar back. Oh God, thank we God. We had two of those in the past. I was month. doing measurements one day. Josh goes, take the measurement on this. So I go, oh, it's this. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, take a video of you doing the measurement. So I'm doing it. And he's like. Dude, you have off. to take the strings off. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, no wonder my measurements are all wrong. Yeah. And I was doing this for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> this is a new He's like, no, that's not how you do that. Back in the awesome. I have to take the strings off? Yeah. I'm not doing that. In the, in, the, in the real vintage era of 30 years ago, nobody ever asked about No. I remember. Now everyone wants to know the neck depth at the front. Yeah, like the but what you know, All these modern manufacturers. That's a good thing, though. That's good. It is that's, good. Here's I'm why saying, that's good. Right. Because if, if you were to describe this, this is a big a V neck. neck, big big soft V neck. Okay, well, what does that mean? 
That doesn't mean shit. Big doesn't mean anything. Neither does medium. Chunky. That doesn't mean anything. Josh redo people's necks all the time, so I'll be like, just send him your measurements. On that level, it's perfect because if I send him the measurements and this is the measurements, you should like it. So that's good. But if there's some guy measuring it with the strings on it, like me, it's gonna come out all fucked up. So. Well, so don't send me your guitars to measure <laughs> shit. I will fuck that up. I just, song. I just need to say that specifically, like within the range of medium, this person's medium is quite different from that. Well, that was person, the oldest so. way to do it. Like, yeah. But now everyone has a caliper. Yeah. You know, which so, is great. I, I but, really favor. But you gotta learn how to use one. Yeah. I'm sure there's other cats out there. I was like, well, why should I take the strings off? That's inconvenient. Like, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Want to know the whole, the whole? Because Josh was like, wait a sec. Dude, Can you funny. take a picture of you taking that measurement? <laughs> it is a pretty. Oh, yeah, this one came out really good. Yeah, I'm just, it looks kind of like the McTaylor one, faded to a color. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Like really, like, I, I mean, I know that seems like I'm patting myself on the back. It, no, it's, and this it, one checked just nice that. light to see it. Yeah. No, this is just. Uh, I'm just gonna say this what it means. Oh, that's yeah. Put a big spiel. Yeah, that's sweet. That'll be my next tattoo. Put yeah. a Bigsby on it. Yeah, <laughs> put a Bigsby on your arm. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't someone that we know have that? Uh, I don't know. No, they would be my friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, there was this guy, Bill Durkin, who used to hang out at Chelsea, who was really involved in heritage guitars back huh. when they were just happening, like when I first started yeah, working yeah. out. And a gigantic heritage guitar tattoo. Back when people didn't have that. Cool. Was, you know, like. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, like really cool. All this bullshit that big Me too. Well, I'm, I'm, I've been the anti-rock dude dude for like 50 years. <laughs> Anything that like, you know, the, the rock dudes of 1970s yeah, yeah. like is what I hated. So exactly. I want all this bullshit that big speech. I want to like Keith Richards on the Tammy show. Right? Like, so cool, like, yeah. And it's I was good. It looked like this. Yeah, it was that's like my one argument I get in with people. It's like, oh my Bigsby makes my guitar tune. It's like, no, it doesn't. No, it it's doesn't. your nut. Set it up for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. You. But back when we were young. No, you not knowing how no to one could set up a guitar, right? So like you would get a guitar to Bigsby, you'd go right out of tune. Rap rounds, no one can make stay in tune. No one could get them in tune. No one could intonate them. Now they can. Yeah. You know, like but so it's all come a long way. We figured it it's out. It's actually not that hard. No. It's no. Like, now it's but fine. But no one bought, you know, wrap around Les Pauls back in the day or yeah. or juniors because no one could intonate them and they saw your badasses, which sounded terrible and they oh, looked stupid. They look stupid. Yeah, they really do. They're cool. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to be badass people, yeah. those things I'm, look fucking stupid. Yeah. I, I, bought, <laughs> fucking uh, stupid. I bought myself a 56 Custom in 1992. Oh, my favorite. And I was running around oh. in the show because I saw it, and I took a look, and I said, Don't try this at home. And I saw the little filled holes. I'm like, this, had, this was a factory Bigsby. Oh. I'm hanging around looking for a Bigsby for it. Oh and my and God. I offended so many. I was like, you big me for this? <laughs> oh my god, you're gonna ruin it! Get out of here! Yeah, here. no, like, fuck no, you. No, it had a big speed. Yeah. I'm gonna make it It's supposed to have a big speed. I, I love that guitar, but it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I love 56 Cousins. The thing where you a great guitar, but it's not your guitar. Yep. Oh yeah. I've, I've, had, I've been to, because I, you know... I've owned a lot of guitars. Big, I've been mine. If there's an electric bass made before 1968, yep. I've probably tried it. Yep. Not every Japanese or Italian one, but I, you know, yeah, anyone that's most. decent. And I, I've learned the ones that I love, I've learned the ones that I love but aren't for me. Yeah. And I've learned the ones that I don't like but sometimes feel like I'm going to have anyway. Yeah. But guitars, it was a longer, it was a longer journey. <laughs> I yeah. love affairs. Yeah, yeah, I just love, I like guitars. Like, I yeah. like, because like, what kind of guitars do you play? I'm like, 
lots. Yeah. I have, yeah, I like a lot of different kinds of guitars. I don't yeah. like some people don't. Some people just like Telecasters. Yeah. Totally. You know, like, but yeah, I like Les Pauls and I like Telecasters and I like Fireworks and I like 335s yeah. and I like your guitars. Yeah. And I, you know, like, you know, I like a lot of stuff, but some people don't. But like, yeah. I play Les Pauls. I must have 45 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't very well yeah. on that I know. But it's like one of those funny things. It's like my favorite guitars were '50s juniors, and now the only guitar I have is it's a Dear Angelica Archtop acoustic. <laughs> but it happens. You change it. You're older. And then it also happens. You could buy a guitar and not get into it and put it away. Yeah. And then four or five later years later, find its purpose. Like, wait a minute. That's happened to me a bunch of times. Oh, right? I, you know, I, like, I just had. I did a, a little recording project recently, and I just happened to pull, I have this um, really old Washburn, it's actually the first jumbo flat top ever made. Wow. Washburn style 503 from the 1890s. Wow. And I've had it for like 25 years, and mm -hmm. I got it rebuilt about, I, I, I got it rebuilt, I was gonna sell it, because I had never used it. Yeah. And I got it rebuilt, and the bridge replaced yeah, it. And I picked minute. it up, I played one chord, and I went, oh, I'm not selling it. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> right now. It's a 27 inch long scale guitar, it's meant to be a bass wow. guitar. That is. But wow, that is really I, peculiar. I, I got involved with Chris at this project where he wrote a song with Valentine. Yeah, he told me about that, by the way. It so, came out great. Oh, thank you. I well, anyway, the, the, when I was, I had had that guitar out, so when I went through, I wrote the music for that other mm -hmm. world. So when I went to write the music, that's the guitar that I pulled. Awesome. It sounds really good. And I and I just sort of hit it. Went oh cool, and I and I recorded the demo on that, and then we recorded the track. I recorded the track on that right over here. And I and we and uh, Jacob, who's one of my young kids here, he's got, you know, he's got this recording studio. I was like, wow, that guitar sounds great. It's like, yeah, and I've owned it for 25 years, and I just now got around to using it. But that does happen. I pulled it out of the cave. There it was. That's it's the magic of all this. You know, exactly. And I pulled out uh, to do the bass track. I have an old Epiphone Rivoli, and I mostly kept that around to play with Hill. Yep. They're not my favorite. I love them for the history, but they're not but my they're favorite. They're respect the situation. I was like an Entwistle Quaif guy. So even though I love Paul Samuel Smith, like I never kind of emulated his sound, but I always had, I kept one around, and we did the track with it, and we just got, and he, you know, I don't know anything about recording. I'm the world's worst engineer. <laughs> but I just, I know what I want. Yeah. And I said, do this, do that, and he got the most beautiful sound out of this thing. And I'm like, wow, I'm back in love with the Epiphone Rivoli that I've gone for. That's what's years. fun about this. That's what you find it. You, you, you change. The guitar right. stays the same. It's but you right. Change. And your ears and change. Yeah. You know, what you're listening to change. Yeah. You know, it all comes back to the music. Yeah, and it all comes yeah. back to loving this same Someday thing. Someday I'll be a good enough guitar player to be worthy of my D'Angelica. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one of my goals. To, to play up to your guitar. I always tell people, I shouldn't buy a guitar that's good. I'm like, no, you should buy a guitar that's good. And then get good enough to play that guitar. And then buy a better guitar than that. Yep. Yeah. And then just buy two other guitars for the hell of it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who if he buys a guitar and there's a two or three month waiting list, he's like, shit, I'm gonna have to buy at least two guitars <laughs> just to get me through to that guitar. You call them waiting guitars. Yeah. He's I like, if they make me wait, I'll buy six more fucking guitars. I've had guitars. I don't I've fuck those people. Yeah. Like I was, I've never been a, I'm not one of those hotshot lead guitar players. I mean, like I've done it in advance, but it's not my thing. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. There are people who, Million times better, but I bought. I had to do some of that, so I bought an SG. Mm -hmm. I got a beautiful Pelham Blue 65. Of course. <laughs> Why and you? I did a bunch of recording where I tried to sound like Captain Sensible, and I yeah, did. Yeah, but yeah, I, you yeah. know, I came Captain Sensible. I and then it's like, 
and it wasn't my guitar, and I ended up selling it. I loved it. I wish I still had it, but it had that skinny neck. That mm -hmm. one. Uh, I could not. I couldn't. Play I, I had an SG like that too. Play a C chord on my first yeah. SG was like a '68 SG. Yeah. But those, but those I loved it, and I couldn't play it. Those necks make you too play better, better, though. Yeah, well, it, I, it, was, I, it does this. I learned to play a bunch of things yeah. I had never played before, so I learned stuff from that guitar that I, I moved on to yeah, other yeah. guitars with. So it helped. It was that was good. like when I had my '67 335 and Park, and it would just turn yeah. everything up, and you learn have to learn how to play it. Yeah. And it worked. That was a great setup. That was fun. <laughs> awesome. So we are um, hitting our two-hour mark. All right. We, good. So I didn't we're even just get started. St I know. Well, that, that's Wait, what I haven't even cussed yet. What's wrong with you motherfuckers? Well, I didn't even get started. Yeah, get some cursing in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Son of a But well, we, every time we do this with somebody, we're like, well, we have to do part two. Because yes. we didn't even talk about any of the things I meant to talk about. So, But we talked about a bunch of shit from what I gather. So it's funny because when you go back and listen, you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't remember talking about any of this. Yeah. But we did. I blacked so, out. We must have talked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I was tripping the yeah. whole time. But, um, but I would like to, I forgot at the beginning to thank Andrew Follett, who was our number one super fan. Oh, yeah. Love. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew is the most awesome. He sends me amazing, amazing emails about how much he loves. And actually, we're getting quite a bunch of comments on all the podcasts from Europe for some reason. Hmm. Yeah, which is in Europe. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. You know, so we're huge in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna go on tour. And we talk are. About we it. are giant in Bulgaria. But yeah, no, I, uh, half the comments are European. You know, they love your podcast. This was so cool. Thanks. Cool. Do more of them. Like, like, all right, awesome. You know, like, because you don't even know really who's watching or if anyone's watching, and I don't really. You know, care. You it's it's just so cool. So some guy in like England's like, oh, I love your podcast. When are you doing another one? You're like, that's so cool. You know, so today. So, but Andrew Follett was always our bestest fan. He writes awesome, awesome, very inspiring emails. So even if he was just the only guy watching, I would do it anyhow. Because <laughs> he's and so Peter, cool. thank you so much for hosting us. Yeah, yeah no. Peter. Um, this was very and your place, of course, is amazing. We'd come out here anyway. Well, I did come out here a few weeks ago, Mike. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> but I did spend some money here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I bought a lot of stuff here. Yeah, this, bought a lot. He, Doug has bought a lot of stuff from us. Because you guys have the best stuff. Well, we <laughs> thank, you, thank you for the plug. We try. You guys really do, and you guys just do it right. You're my kind of. We folks. look forward to the day when we just open again all the time. Yes. People can it's coming. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. But we all survived. We got yeah. to this we point. It's on its um, way. Yeah. It's about the love. It exactly. really is. You get and the love, bring it here. Thank you all for watching and listening wherever you are out there. And um, hope you guys are doing good at home and surviving all this crazy stuff. And we will see you the next time. Oh, and of course, we really want to thank Connor for helping us out. And over there who shoots the videos and edits them and all that stuff. And um, that's all Let's the party. people we need to thank. Otherwise, we'll just thank ourselves. Yeah. We're, thank us. We came here. Um, see you next time, everybody. Alrighty.